Trek Geeks is proud to have Fansets as its presenting sponsor. Fansets is the place for amazing pin collectibles with over 200 officially licensed Star Trek pins and new releases every month. Stay tuned for a special discount code good on your next order at fansets.com just for being a Trek Geeks listener. Fansets, our pins have character. This episode is also sponsored by Science Division, the makers of the world's first interactive Tribble that you can control with your smartphone. Find out more at sciencediv.com. Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. Hi, this is Alexander Sadiq, Dr. Julian Bashir on Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and you are listening to the biggest little show this side of the Gamma Quadrant. It's the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. Podfleet Command Adjudication Office, located in the basement of the Podfleet Command World Headquarters in the most granite of the states. It's the biggest little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant and the flagship of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network. Greetings, ladies, gentlemen, children of all ages, and welcome to Trek Geeks. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith. It is an absolute joy to have you here with us. Uh, we are always grateful when you take time to download and listen to us babble on about Star Trek. And um, this week is no exception. Of course, I do have a co-host. This is normally the time where I bring him in. I just want to warn you and get you ready because it's usually quite jarring when he opens his mouth. It's um, it, it's kind of like that most annoying sound in the world, except it's got a name and it's called Dan Davidson. Dan! Uh, happy to have you here, buddy. Welcome. Thanks, man. It's great being here in the justification office down at Podfleet Command. Always good to be here. <laughs> you don't even know where you're I at. I don't even know what the word is. You said that, and I completely almost passed out because I didn't know what it was or how to spell it. But that's normal for me, so happy whatever day because it's the same. As- happy Tuesday. <laughs> Absolutely. Great to be here. Always good to sit down with you, buddy, and talk Star Trek, which we've been doing for 225 episodes now. Wow. 226 today and it's a good one oh it's a good one um it is the return of the ultimate trek geeks fan favorite we get more requests for two different episodes than any others we've done a lot of people want to hear stump stump the geek Mm -hmm. we have one of those coming up a little later on in the schedule and maybe this summer sometime Mm -hmm. but we always always have people asking us when are you going to do another see it or skip it and Dan, today those requests have been answered. Absolutely, they have. Voyager 25 celebration continues to roll along, even though it's mostly virtually at this point. But uh, we're doing our part, and we've got uh, probably one of the uh, most popular, if not the most popular, seasons of all. You remember when we went like a whole year without doing See It or Skip It? Ooh, that you was, mean like last year? That was brutal, <laughs> brutal. It's amazing to think that uh, the. 
that happened because I feel like we've been doing these the whole yeah, time. I know. We're getting old. We are. Well, you are. Um, I'm a little older than you, but that's okay. Um, so anyway, it's season four of Voyager. Lots of stuff going on. Lots of great things to talk about. And uh, I got to say, you and I can't do this alone. Not something as epic as season four of Voyager. So... With that being said, <laughs> so we've got a that was that was very dramatic. I like that. Say so it was a good. Should have some music in the background, like dun dun dun. Um, we have a great friend, uh, Marina Kravchuk, is going to join us. She is one of the most positive and wonderful Star Trek fans in the world. We're going to have her come on. We're going to talk season four. We're going to get the uh, yays or nays uh, as to um, what our votes are, and I think there's some people are going to be pretty surprised at the overall totals at the end. I think some people are going to be pretty surprised at the things we agree and disagree on. True. Um, because that's an interesting conversation all on its own. Dan, what else is interesting is that we routinely like to hear from people who listen to this very fine podcast. Mm. There is a method by which they can send us their feedback that doesn't involve some kind of subspace array or wormhole. And how about you tell them? About that now. There's actually more than one, which is even more awesome. Or awesome-er, if I could say so myself. But I won't. Anyway, yes, if you're looking to get in touch with us, you can head right on over to trekgeeks.com slash contact. And there you will find a multitude of ways to communicate with us. There is Skype chat. There's email. There's even voicemail by way of that big blue button using SpeakPipe. Whatever way you want to contact us, just make it so because we love hearing from you. Plus, as always, there's the most positive Star Trek group on Facebook. It's Camp Kittimer. It's our official group, and it's where over 1,700 friends gather to talk Trek. It's always positive, with no bashing or gatekeeping ever allowed. To join the group, just head on over to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer and be ready to take part of a truly wonderful social experience. And as always, we want to thank our wonderful admins, Haley, Jackie, and Dan, for the amazing job they do running the camp. Also, it is very important, Bill, so I have to say this with all earnest and seriousness that I can muster. Please remember that any comments or messages you leave us in any of these places may be used in a future episode, Peter. And Bill. Bill. Sorry. Sorry. Bill. Bill. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Dan, another week, and actually another month has already flown by, and you know what that means, don't you? Cheeseburgers. What? (laughs) You're such an idiot. No, that means that Fansets is about to release some new pins. Oh, that's good. I I, I do kind of like the idea of cheeseburgers, but hell yeah, yeah. new pins, baby. Fansets has new pins on the 1st and 15th of the month, plus... Who knows when they'll drop something special at any given moment? They did that last month, actually. Uh, And we're not just talking Star Trek. No, 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 no. All kinds of amazing pins are on the way every month from genres like DC Comics, Ultraman, and so much more. Take, for instance, the releases for August 1st. The Women of Trek collection is proud to welcome to Paul from Enterprise. And a new micro crew member will be available and just happens to be someone that we talked about this very week. It's Kess, and she is also ready to add to your collection. The DC Comics line is also very busy as the Bombshell collection welcomes Mary Marvel. Supervillain The Batman Who Laughs will be ready to put in your cart on August 1st. And finally, Bill, I know you've been waiting for this one as well as I. The launch of Batman 66. It's here. It's ready. Oh, baby. 
to follow up on our previous segment, Giggity. (laughs) (laughs) That is a ton of new stuff, man. And don't forget, Leo from Ultraman is also available on August 1st. So listeners, if you want to have any of the pins that Dan mentioned, head on over to fansets.com and just put a bunch of pins and accessories and gift certificates into your cart. Because remember, if you spend more than 30 bucks, you're going to get free shipping from fansets. On top of that, at checkout, enter the Trek Geeks exclusive discount code for this week, 7, for 15% off your entire order. That's S-E-V-E-N in all capital letters. This bonus code is going to be available to use until Wednesday, August 5th, 2020, at midnight Eastern Daylight Time. Fansets. Our pins have character. And we thank our friends at Fansets for being the presenting sponsor of Trek Geeks. Well, Dan, here we are. We have once again come up to the precipice of another Seattle Skip It, this time Voyager Season 4. Very exciting. We're, we're past the halfway mark of the year and the series. And joining us today is a great friend that we miss terribly. Yeah, you know, I just can't, I cannot believe it's been almost a full year since we last saw her at STLV. She really is one of the most positive people in Star Trek fandom, and we are so proud to call her a very dear friend. She happens to be co-host of the Shore Leave podcast over on the Tricorder Transmissions Network, and I'll say it, she has one of the most awesome accents I have ever heard. Her name is Marina Kravchuk. She is right here on the Trek Geeks podcast to talk about Voyager Season 4. See it or skip it. Hey, Marina, what's up? Hi, guys. Thank you so much for inviting <laughs> me. It's such a pleasure to be here, really. And thank you very much. I never realized that my accent apparently is a feature, not a bug. <laughs> Oh, it's a, it's a feature. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I don't hear an accent at all. I don't know what he's talking about. <laughs> it's a curious thing. Some people do and yeah, some people don't. Yeah. And I generally hear myself I'm like, that. I did, really did not speak well today. <laughs> Dan's just been drinking. That's okay. I have. My knee's yeah. hurting. So, yeah, I have been. Oh, That's true. Uh, Marina, how are you and how's your family during this whole crazy situation that's going on? Is everybody healthy and sane? Uh, more or less. I mean, there yeah. are some family issues and, uh, well, health issues, but uh, I think most of the people I know have something going on in that regard. Otherwise, we just battened up the hatches and we've been together inside our house for the past almost five months now. Uh, Everybody's working from home. And so there's a lot of food, let me tell you. For some (laughs) reason, it's like we're cooking nonstop. And uh, yeah, so every day it's like, okay, gosh, I have to figure out what I'm going to eat today because it's just eat, work, 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 eat. (laughs) Yeah. and, and a little bit of to, Star Trek in between. I was, I was just going to say, what better way to put a little uh, break in that monotony by having you on a podcast to talk, to talk Star Trek? Yeah. Because Voyager is your favorite series, if yes. I'm not mistaken. So that's uh, right. This is going to be fun because season four is something special. Yes, something. and I, I have to say, I am terribly, terribly partial to it. So <laughs> uh, let's see how it goes. <laughs> Well, you have the unenviable task tonight of refereeing Dan and me and our horrible picks in some cases. I'm sure you'll agree. Um, and it's it's no small task. We we picked someone we knew would be up to the challenge. So no pressure, but don't mess up. <laughs> I will do my best. 
<laughs> well, in that case, let's get started. Obviously, we're going to go through all 26 episodes in Voyager Season 4. Now, for those of you who may not have heard See It or Skip It before, this is essentially our tool to go through this uh, a season of Star Trek and tell you what we think about it. Are we really going to skip some of these episodes? Probably not. But it's really just a fun exercise in determining which ones we really love and which ones we might uh, take a couple of extra drink breaks through, mm. maybe. I like that. It's yeah. kind of like when you're listening to the Trek Geeks podcast, you really want to fast forward through anything that Bill says, but you don't. You listen to it. And that's what this is all about. That's because that's the most cogent part of the podcast. <laughs> um, people want to fast forward through when you speak. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I know I want to do that right now. <laughs> Gosh, there's so much love in the air. I, I know. It's great. <laughs> I know. It's, it's amazing. And to think that the Rona has only magnified it. <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, let's get started. Uh, Marina, you have the you have the the floor. You have the con, as it were, if this were a starship, and you're welcome to kick us off. Yeah, and here we are. And of course, we're starting with the premiere, Scorpion Part Two, uh, in which Janeway and Tuvok have to work with the Borg and meet Seven of Nine as they collaborate on developing a weapon against Species Eight Four Seven Two in exchange for safe passage through the Borg space. And let's start with Bill. What did you think oh, well, about it? Oh, well, thank you. I think this episode is an absolute see it. I mean, there is no way you can skip this episode. Not only is it a really great wrap up of a two parter and the resolution of a cliffhanger, but you have to see how seven comes aboard as a full time member of this crew. So, I mean, if, if I mean, normally I say see the second half of a two parter anyway, Dan, but in this case, you really have to. Oh, yeah, you really have to. It's definitely a see it. I'm not sure anybody would say it's a skip it, to be honest with you. Um, it's the start of a great character. Now, I don't really count part one as anything other than seeing her for the first time. Um, it's a great story. And hey, Harry suffers again. <laughs> yeah, and that's always a good thing. Uh, you know, I got to say, though, his recovery was way too fast for the damage that we saw being inflicted with that stuff, like crawling out of his nose and stuff. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. And hey, Species 8472 is badass. I love them. So definitely you see it. What about you, Marina? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just like what Bill actually said, there's no way to kind of progress in the series unless you know what's happening. Because a new character is introduced, we get the wrap up, and it sort of sets off a different tone for the rest of the series. Because you, you got to agree that season four has a very different um, dynamic in a way. And it's somewhat, you know, we, you kind of start to get a more homey feel about it. You know, Voyager is a family and then things kind of go on and so it's it certainly sets off uh the rest of the series the rest of the season certainly so definite see it for me well i have to tell you camp kittimer agrees with our unanimous decision because they too were unanimous in seeing scorpion oh. part two now i'll tell you as a bit of a spoiler this is the only unanimous vote of the season wow huh. um I am so out of all 20 yeah i know right out of all 26 episodes, this is the only one that everybody said, yep, got to see it. Now, to contrast that, there are three episodes that will tie for the lowest <laughs> rank of the season, and those are coming up later on. Wow. Interesting. That's a shock. So, yeah. I know, right? 
So I'm, Marina, I'm, um, I'm surprised. You, I'm, you know what? Considering how, in a way, unique in some ways season four is, I expect yeah. it to be more. But let's let's talk about. Let's see what happens next. So the next one is uh, the episode two, the gift. Uh, Cass's mental abilities develop to a point where they start to endanger Voyager, while the Doctor and Janeway slowly help Seven of Knife cope with being severed from the Borg Collective. Dan, what did you think about this one? Uh, you know, everybody knows I'm not a big fan of Kess over the years. I gave it a see it though, even though it's a barely a see it, only because we have an episode for Kess where she really gets to do something special, even if it is leave. Bill? <laughs> <laughs> wow, someday I look forward to saying that about you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's going to be one of those days. <laughs> well, it is a see it or skip it. We got to we got to bring the heat, you know. Yep. Um you know, I I don't want to disappoint my adoring public. Um, so I- I'm going to get this one out of the way early. Uh, the gift season four, episode two, meh, I'm going <laughs> to give this one a solid skip it as much as I wish Kess were hanging around because I actually like Kess. I think that, uh, this is a terrible way to send her off. I think, uh, you know, behind the scenes, I think Jennifer Leon got a raw deal. Yes. I think yes. that they could have found a way to add a character to this cast while keeping Cass on board. Uh, and uh, I thought that it was really just a cop out to, to send her packing like this. Is it nice that she kind of kicks them closer to home? Yeah, it absolutely is. But it's just, I have a hard time watching this episode knowing that we're saying goodbye to a character that I've actually come to appreciate, Marina. Yeah, I I did put see see it, uh, simply because I thought it made sense the way they wrap up her. You know, she just you know, it's not one of the situations where okay, the actor is leaving, so let's kill the character. They did not do that, and I appreciated that. And it also was a meaningful leave because Cass does help them. She throws them you know, past the Borg territory. Yeah, right. And we basically, all of a sudden, the return home becomes that much more realistic because we, uh, you know, we basically lose 10 years from the journey. Um, so in that regard, I think it's a see it. Uh, plus, we do see further development of how Seven of Nine is dealing with being severed from the collective. But I can totally see how it would not necessarily be uh, you know, a two thumbs up type of episode for some of the uh, some of the fans, but I, I did put see see it. Yeah, I think one of the things, Bill, you, you mentioned it, and and I absolutely agree with you in that aspect. I'm not a huge Kess fan, but and I don't want to sound sexist, but we all know that Seven of Nine was brought in on season four for the sex appeal aspect, and it's unfortunate that someone had to suffer for that, and that it yep. was Jennifer Lean mm-hmm. and the character of Kess. Then that's one thing I really. Agreed. It's really too bad because you said it, Bill. She could have been still on board. She could have still contributed to the show, um, but she didn't. Uh, well, maybe she will later. When I originally Ooh. saw the episode, I have to say that I kind of thought, well, considering that she's basically become this uber being for all intents and purposes, that she mm-hmm. might show up at some point because right, there is literally no limitation for Cass not to show up later. And then, of course, she never did until Fury in season six, which completely, I was going to say, partly destroyed the character in a way. Um, yep. So in that regard, yeah, she certainly got the raw deal in this whole thing. Well, Camp Kittimer, um, 
agrees with a couple of you and not with me in this case. Mm. Um, they say that 90% of respondents who uh, answered Debbie Moltisanti's awesome poll that she puts together every see it or skip it, 90% said they would see this episode. So I'm clearly in the minority on this one. I'm okay with it. Um, you know, my, my reasons for watching it are, are more really kind of emotional than anything else uh, or not watching it. I mean, yeah. um, but th- there we, there we have it. 90%. So back to you, Marina. Bill. Yeah. Let's go to, uh, <laughs> episode number three, day of honor. Bolana tries to observe the Klingon day of honor after the warp core is lost. Uh, Bill, what are your feelings about that one? You know, I'm going to give this one a see it. Uh, you know, it's Day of Honor, or as I like to call it, Balana Taurus and the terrible, no good, very bad day where she almost dies and tells Tom Paris she loves him. Oh, and any day you get to eject the warp core is a bad, bad day, Dan. Balana has a lot going on in this one. That's a long title. I think I'm glad they went with Day of Honor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I gave it a see it, and I'm going to be honest. I was planning on giving this one a skip it all along when I was looking through the titles. But then I remembered that this is the episode where Balan and Tom are floating in space. And I remembered how much I love that part of the episode. We finally get Balana telling Tom that she loves him. And although romance in Trek has never been something I love because it's not always done great, this was pretty touching. The rest of the episode, to quote Bill, meh. I have to admit, I'm a hopeless romantic. And uh, seeing that I actually started, yeah, I don't know if you're aware of this whole PTJC, you know, the two letter designations for various romantic couplings. Oh, yeah. I started out as a PT. So for me, this was a very, very important episode. <laughs> so I uh, I recall loving it. And then, of course, I read uh, Friedman's Day of Honor, uh, which was I don't believe it was a novelization. It was a slightly different story that kind of uh, developed the Klingon part a little bit more. I believe it was part of the four book uh, deal and uh, by different authors. So I remember I've been rather enamored about this whole thing. You have the Klingons, you have Balana, who's one of my favorite characters. And of course, you have a whole lot of romance. Uh, Well, they're dying, of course, but that's beside the point. (laughs) So it's a definite see it for me. Uh, but, uh, again, we all perceive the, uh, <laughs> the characters and the episodes and what, what not differently. So I'm actually curious, what did Cap Kinnamer say about this? Well, it's funny you bring it up because the last two episodes, very solid, high ranking. This episode drops down to 60% of respondents said they would oh, see wow. Day of Honor. Ouch. I'm really surprised by that. Yeah. Huh. Um, you would think Klingons would always be, at least some Klingon aspect would always be popular, but I guess... Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I wonder if it comes down to the relationship aspect because I mean, like, be. like Dan said, it doesn't always work well in mm-hmm. Star Trek when they choose to do it. Um, in TOS, they always wind up killing off the relationship interest. Yeah. Um, in TNG, um, they kind of did the same. Yeah, <laughs> for but the I, most part. I, I have to Tim say that a- between uh, I'm I'm trying to think. I think uh, between uh, let's see, there's there was a couple of relationships on Deep, Deep Space Nine, but Bolana and Paris actually came off as quite realistic in the end. It certainly yeah. gave a very nice arc to both of them throughout the entire series. I like how so. you say that because there were some great aspects of a relationship mm-hmm. and there were some really not great aspects of their mm-hmm. relationship. So yeah, 100% agreement there. Yeah. All right. And uh, we're on to episode four, Nemesis. Uh, Chakotay helps fight an alien war. Uh, Dan. Oh, Nemesis. Skip it. Picard has a clone. I mean... <laughs> Ron Perlman is covered with so much makeup that you can't even tell it's him. 
Oh, Riker and Tr- Oh, wait a second. Sorry, wrong nemesis. Yeah, actually, I gave this one a see it. <laughs> uh, yeah, this this one might be one of the top episodes in Star Trek about tolerance that we've ever seen. Right up there with Let That Be Your Last Battlefield. Uh, the Kraden and Vori are so different. It's hard to believe that they're from the same world. And the brainwashing that Chakotay goes through is scary and makes me think how easy people in our day can be put through that kind of mental torture and anguish. And the possibility that they may never recover from it, as we saw with Chakotay, where right at the end, he wished that it were as easy to stop hating as it was to start. Bill? Wow, it's amazing, because when you put it in those terms, Dan, it's actually a, a pretty interesting episode. Yeah. However, oh. that said, <laughs> oh. um, we're on episode four, and I'm about to hand out my <laughs> second of these. <laughs> Skip it. And to that I say, Akuchi meh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Tough today, Bill. Um, I, um, <laughs> this is just an episode that just doesn't do anything for yeah. me. I, you know, it's I understand the themes that are a part of it. Uh, I just it, it doesn't engage me. Uh, I think that there are so many other episodes that that have talked about mental torture and anguish, including in Voyager, a lot mm-hmm. better than this one. Um, and uh, I, I may be referencing one with a particular clown that people hate. Um, <laughs> oh, I but love that's, the thought. I love the thought. <laughs> but that's just that's just me, Marina. Yeah. <laughs> well, just actually, it's just the two of us. But yeah, <laughs> I always like when the with the um, I forget was it uh, Brandon Braga? I think it was him. Somebody somebody of the executive side that said that uh, the Thor was basically a TOS episode in Voyager Drag. Yeah, it's my favorite <laughs> description nice. of the episode. Yeah. Uh, it's, um, not unlike, I'm kind of stuck between the two of you guys for this one, because I I wish I could give it like 0.5 points because (laughs) I feel it's like, if you've never seen this episode before, I think you should see it. So in that regard, it is definitely a see it episode because it's literally everything that Dan said. It's this, this, you know, the illogical, it's, it's the hate, you know, the illogical Mm -hmm. hate state of being hateful um i another thing that i I really liked about it uh, (laughs) and i'm sure a lot of people bring it up when they first see it the aliens the created the fact that they are so reminiscent of the nausicans Mm -hmm. and which of course also every all all it's both of them look like the uh alien from the predator movies um but in those two nausicans and the predator they're evil. They're horrible. And here, Creighton is supposedly actually benevolent. So you have this flip yeah. where you're automatically yeah. invited to hate them because, oh my God, look how those ugly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in reality, it's exactly the opposite. Uh, so they're making a lot of points with this one. But uh, uh, again, I can totally see how some people would skip it. As a matter of fact, if I'm doing a rewatch, which I really wanted to do before we recorded this, unfortunately, I ran out of time. I probably would have skipped it myself. But I am putting it as I see it. Okay. It's, uh, there we go. It okay. has important lessons. Well, Camp Kittimer, um gave this one a slightly lower rating than the last episode. 55% of respondents, mm. just better than one half, would watch this particular episode. And come on, don't I get any points for a coochie meh yet? <laughs> oh, absolutely. That's like a Farkism on a whole new level, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, too much. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Um, episode five, Revulsion. Uh, hologram contacts Voyager in the Voyager of, uh, let me do this one again. A hologram contacts Voyager and the doctor is excited to meet another hologram. Uh, Bill? Oh, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, this one for me is a total see it. I like this episode a lot. I mean, having a psychotic hologram seemed a little odd at first. 
But Leland Orser, man, he really does a fantastic job with this. And it's a story that's worth watching. I love the scenes with him and Picardo together um, because they really play off each other really well. Plus, we're not done seeing Leland Orser in Star Trek either. He's going to turn up at least one more time that I'm aware of. Um, but uh, Dan, what about you, buddy? Oh, absolutely. I gave this a see it. It's it's Voyager in a horror movie. And <laughs> um, Psycho Hologram. Enough said. That's all I got to say. That makes it worth seeing. Marina? It's fun i i same thing i love the horror elements leland orser oh. you have specific types of roles for him he can play yeah. the creep like a master uh so everything is great i love the way the way it's the, the cinematography the way it's lit it's like you, you you're part of this atmosphere uh, i also happen to own one of the props from this particular <laughs> episode which is cool. the hammer of the murderous dejaron so it kind of makes it even more fun because i always look at it i'm like look at them holding it they're covering up the made in canada note that's printed on the on the on the tool <laughs> so it's uh it's doubly fun because of the uh, real life aspect of of it, but just generally, uh, between Bob Picardo and Roxanne Dawson and Leland Orser, this is a great outing. So it's a yeah. definite see it. Cam Kittimer is right there, almost a little better than last time. 60% of respondents said they would see this episode. That's a majority. I'll take that. Um, uh, but I think that uh, if I'm going to do a rewatch, I'm definitely adding revulsion to that list. Yeah. yeah. Hands down. Love it. Yeah. And we're up to episode six, The Raven. Uh, Seven of Nine experiences Borg flashbacks as she attempts to become more human. Uh, Dan, this was uh, a, yeah, this, an interesting one. Yeah. It is a very interesting one. I gave this a see it. We get to see Seven go into full Borg mode and steal that shuttlecraft. I think that's awesome. And also the flashbacks that she has as a young child just about to be assimilated are very eerie and, and really, really disturbing. I always talk about how Voyager kind of wussifies the Borg, but in this episode, they really are um, terrifying. Um, one of the things – I don't know – Weren't we not supposed to find out about the Borg until Q Who? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's it's, one thing that's always stuck with me. It's like, uh, okay, was this a Section 31 mission and nobody knew about it? That's, but I can overlook that because the episode is, is pretty good. Bill? Yeah. You know, I have to say, when I watched this episode the first time in 1997, I hated it. <laughs> I was just so annoyed because, like you said, Dan, we weren't supposed to know about the Borg at this point. Yep. Um, Trek was contradicting, contradicting itself, and this episode breaks so many rules. However, I've gotten older. Uh, I've become wiser. I've gotten past that, and there's, in this episode, a lot to know about Seven of Nine. Plus, this episode is a little disturbing, and I, I dig that. It's got some really great early Seven and Janeway moments, too. So, Marina, for this one for me is actually a see it now at this point in my fandom. It is a see it for me as well. When I saw it originally, I remember being quite upset because the whole concept that uh, Magnus and Aaron Hansen, being the brilliant scientists mm -hmm. that they are, uh, I think the assumption is that it's not like they set necessarily maybe set out to look for Borg. They just they were out looking out for an unknown threat out there, discovering something. I, I can't recall the details exactly. I'm sorry, uh, but bottom line is they went out into the nowhere, broke the contact with Federation and with Starfleet, even though they weren't working for Starfleet, and they took their child with them. Like right. literally, it seems that just such a horrific. Like, and wonderful that you want to go out and explore literally into the unknown, but you're taking everyone you love, your entire family, little family yep. with you. And then, and here's the horrifying results 20 plus years later. 
Um, so it's a seed, definitely. Um, has some really nice special effects. I remember the the fold when the raven falls down. That that was a cool cool shot. So yeah, definitely see it. So what did uh, Cam Kittimer say about this one? 91% of respondents wow. from Camp Kittimer would say, see the Raven. And deservedly I'm, I'm right so. there with it. Yeah. Yeah. Deservedly so. I mean, I get this episode may not be some people's cup of tea. It wasn't for me for a long time. Um, but I think 91 is a, is a definite redemption for some aspects of this episode, in my opinion. All right. Uh, scientific method, episode number seven. Uh, the crew have unexplained illnesses as they are closely observed by unseen intruders. Uh, Bill, what did you think about this one? I'm really curious. <laughs> no, because I, well, I know for a fact that this, I, I, I've spoken to a lot of people and they were, it's very, very split for some reason. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a cool episode, but I, I want to know what you think. Well, I, I'm going to let the cat out of the bag early. I'm going to say see it. Um, this is a concept I feel has been done before in Star Trek, you know, aliens performing experiments without the crew's knowledge, but we get a bit of a mashup of those various episodes here in Scientific Method. It's interesting enough and different enough to make me want to watch it. Ultimately, I think it's a, it tells a decent story and it does it in a relatively interesting way, Dan. Oh, absolutely. This is a see it for me. Um, I don't mean this in a negative way at all. It is nothing but a compliment to Kate Mulgrew. She plays the best bitchy captain. She <laughs> is so great when she's having those migraines. It's awesome. We have her like that. We have Tom and Bellana, finally a couple. Chicote looks about Bill's age, 127 years old. He I mean it's just it's great. <laughs> and oh what fun. Absolutely. But I gotta ask, when Janeway has those headaches, and and we find out that a probe is being used on her in her head. Did anyone else think of the TNG episode where Beverly was drinking out of a straw in Riker's head? Because I sure did. Mm. Marina? <laughs> no, I did not think about that. But I, I think it's actually uh, what, what Bill said, you know, because similar concepts have already been explored. I think that's why it's always so divisive. A lot of people kind of go meh, and then others love it. And I happen to absolutely love it because... There is a lot of stuff happening, and uh, between the acting and the special effects, I, again, I love that thing when you know we get the all of a sudden you see the teeth and the skeleton, and you just <laughs> zoom straight through people, and wow! Um, and of course, Seven gets to save the day in a way when she, you know, she gets to basically expose the the aliens, and of course, the very. Um, uh, what did Tuvok say? Reckless, reckless way. The way Janeway does save everybody in the end. Mm -hmm. The whole thing was a, is a fun ride. So I really enjoyed this episode. Uh, and of course, again, something that I mentioned before. You know, we get a little bit more romance with uh, uh, Paris and Belana. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I kind of grew out of it, kind of. <laughs> So Not definitely, really. definitely. A scene. <laughs> oh, I, I have a small collection of signed duo photos that has like six different couples across the TNG era. So talk to me later about this. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right. I um, it, it's interesting to me because this is one of those episodes I expected people to hate in Camp Kittimer. And actually, eighty three percent of respondents said wow. they would see this episode. Awesome. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think it says a lot about the the writing in this particular mm -hmm. one. I mean, there are others that have been much lower so far. Um, it has a good pace. That's, a, that's the thing. Even though yeah. it's a repetitive uh, concept again, but it has a nice pace, a nice dynamic. There's lots of good stuff happening. So it's like a, we, they took the concept and they repackaged it and they delivered on it. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And we are coming up to 
probably one of the best things in all of Star Trek franchise, in my very humble opinion. And that is, of course, we have the famous two-parter Year of Hell. So episode eight would be Year of Hell, part one. Voyager creates a new astromatics lab, which maps a new course that brings them into contact with the Cranium temporal ship that can erase things from history. Oh, Dan, what do you think? This is something. (laughs) You know, see it over and over. And then when you're done watching it, watch it 10 more times. Mm -hmm. This is probably my favorite Voyager episode in all seven seasons, hands down. I love it. I I love it. Uh, Finally, we um, get a really great and interesting time distortion story. Kurtwood Smith as Anorax is just top notch. Yeah, he has the same motive as many other Trek villains where his loved one has died and he's trying to make things right somehow. But it works on every single level. I just absolutely love it. His calm demeanor when erasing entire species is just bone chilling. Trace elements? Counterindications, Bill. <laughs> wow. Mm. Uh, now, I, now I feel threatened. Yes. <laughs> um, I think this Bel- one's definitely a see it, Dan. Believe me, if anyone wants to wipe you to out of time, it would be me. But go ahead. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Just. Well, I guess I don't have to do this show anymore. <laughs> uh, no, this one's definitely a see it for me. The thing that gets me about this is this two-part episode does this concept so much better than Star Trek Generations does. Mm-hmm. It is not funny. When people wonder why I think Generations is the worst of the TNG f- feature films, it's because Year of Hell does it 10 times better. I think this is the second best two-parter in of all time in all of Star Trek. It tells such a good story and really puts the ship and crew in some incredibly uncertain places. Plus, I mean, Kurtwood Smith. He is downright amazing in this episode. Forget everything you've seen him in before. Uh, whether it's RoboCop or Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country, or even that '70s show, uh, Kurtwood Smith proves why he is a damn fine actor. Marina, yeah, he is—he's excellent. I, I consider him probably in the top ten of the guest actors that we had in the franchise. Yeah. It's just the way. Eventually, I mean, they've been at it. I believe two hundred years. The crew of, of the time ship. And the fact that he gets to that point where in his mind, it's him against the time. And yeah, he's just literally playing with civilizations and millions of species and all that. And it just, it's a, it's a great story. I, I absolutely adore Year of Hell. There's just so many wonderful parts to it. It has, uh, I mean, there are a couple of moments with Janeway where I, I keep thinking, you know, sci-fi always gets the raw deal with as far as the awards and everything but this is probably the one episode mm-hmm. absolutely with at least you know if we're talking about the series in voyager that deserved an emmy deserved an emmy for a lot of things in terms of the effects in the story and of course the acting absolutely so definitely see it and i am shocked not you know to already know that it's not unanimous with cam kittimer so what is the percentage uh would you be surprised to learn 97 that's just close it's disappointing, it's, it's but it's incredibly close. close. <laughs> yeah. I think that means one person or maybe two people, depending. Um, one person would skip Year of Hell. Oh, how can you skip Year of Hell? Although, I, I you know, know what? If it's someone who's, and I know that there is a very staunchy uh, camp of those folks who feel that Year of Hell should have been literally a Year of Hell, meaning the season of Hell. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. And I, so I can totally get that. But still, Year of Hell rocks. I know. Uh, 
All right, let's move on to the second part. So Year of Hell Part 2. Uh, badly damaged Voyager hides in the nebula as a skeleton crew attempts repairs. Meanwhile, the Cranham commander proposes a compromise to Chakotay and Tom Paris. Uh, Bill? Uh, absolutely, you got to see it. Th- this conclusion is awesome. And you even kind of guess early, early on how the reset button is going to be employed here, but it's still not a disappointment in any way. The best part is the Year of Hell never happened and won't or... But will it? Because at the very end, Anorax is working on a pad with temporal incursion calculations, Dan. Maybe this is going to come up again in a future Star Trek series, although we have seen more of it in Star Trek Online. This is easily among Voyager's all-time best. Absolute 100% agreement with you, man. To see it, we finally get a part two that lives up to part one. It, it It just shines on so many levels. Now... Chakotay gets to blend in nicely with Anorex. That's a little convenient for someone who was a prisoner to all of a sudden be able to do his own, you know, uh, little holodeck uh, representations of what would happen if he didn't account for the comment and wipes out whatever. But it doesn't take anything away from the story for me. Um, And of course, it is this episode that we get the best Janeway line of the season, if not for the series, with times up and i gotta say i said it before i'll say it again the krenum ship is absolutely fantastic i have it sitting right over there uh in my uh starship display from uh the starship models collection and i just i just love it yeah it's absolute see it you you you, you're right this is my favorite two-parter i think it's one of the best two-parters of all the two-parters that star trek has done um so it, it just I suppose I have no words, but this is this this is great. I mean, it almost. I mean, it is the length of the feature film if you count both yeah, of them yeah. together. Yeah. So this is quality. This is probably one of the highlights. This certainly the high point of Voyager for me. Definitely see it. So where where's Camp Kidum on that one then? Well, coincidentally, part two also is ninety seven percent. So it's at least consistent for this episode. It must have been the same people. It's, yeah, had to be. <laughs> yeah. Um, and hey, that's, I mean, there are no wrong answers when it comes to this, just like there's no wrong answers with yeah. our responses. Right. People's fandom is is what it is. And if somebody doesn't like your hell, that's, hey, that's fantastic because there's plenty of other Star Trek to like. Oh, You absolutely. know what's interesting? Um, you guys said it a, a moment ago. It's the length of a movie. The story is movie quality. Could you mm-hmm. imagine what this would have been like if they made a Voyager movie and this was the movie with the added budget for special effects? And mm-hmm. oh, oh my God, that would have just been unbelievable but anyway i digress no that would have been totally great oh Ah, all the what ifs uh (laughs) all right let's proceed to episode 10 random thoughts uh taurus is arrested while visiting a world of telepaths where violent thoughts are a crime dan what did you think about this one well let's see i gave it a see it Man, if I was on this planet and they listened to my thoughts about Bill, I would be put in jail or put to death about a million times. Bill? Well, let's see. I gave it a see it. Man, if I was on this planet and they listened to my thoughts about Dan, I would be put in jail or put to death about a million times. (laughs) 
Marina? <laughs> oh, I'm not going to repeat that. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it is a see it for me as well. Um, I really like, well, first of all, I love the fact that Gwyneth Walsh is one of the guest stars. And yes. uh, I believe she actually loved being a guest star as well because she didn't have to wear a heavy Klingon makeup for, for change. Uh, but just generally, this is uh, this is a nice one. You know, we're talking about uh, thought police, basically. So it's, it's, it's another one of those episodes where, yeah, you have, some interesting stuff going on and Tuvok is being Tuvok and all that. But there is a, a concept behind it. You know, like, how do you, what if you outlaw certain thoughts? How, how, what, what happens and where it comes down to the fact that, you know, you can't, you know, eventually black market of sorts will be created and mm -hmm. things just don't disappear altogether. It was, a, it was an interesting episode. Um, so yeah, definitely see it. Season four really has a lot of great Star Trek episodes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, all of the episodes are Star Trek, obviously, because they carry the name. But there is so much classic Star Trek in season four of Voyager yeah. that you have to take a step back and go, man, they really got it right with some of these topics. Um, it's it's really kind of impressive. And um, it, it makes me want to step back and look at some of the other shows and say, hey, did they get it nearly as right as far as concept? Now, Camp Kittimer. Um, they weren't as big a fan of this episode as we were. 42% uh, of respondents, Ouchie. just below half, wow. said that uh, Bolana's random thoughts were not for them. That's pretty low. Interesting. Yeah, that's actually the lowest so, so far, far, I believe. Yeah. Um, but uh, don't worry, it gets lower. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm now wondering which, although, you know what? I suspect which one it could be because, as you notice, so far I had everything as see it. For the most, well, except for the nemesis, which is kind of 0. 0.5. But yeah, my, my skippets are still coming. <laughs> Let's see. <laughs> All right. So, uh, we're on to concerning flight. Uh, aliens steal several key components of Voyager, which are retrieved with the assistance from the holographic Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, this is marvelous. Uh, Bill, what did you think about this one? You know, I, I, I see the, I'd say see this episode. I actually really like this episode because it has some real consequences if Voyager isn't successful. Mm -hmm. Plus, I mean, I love the interplay between Janeway and Da Vinci. I think it's fun. I think it's a nice downshift from some of the other uber serious episodes like Year of Hell Part 1 and 2. Um, and it, it gives them something to, to step outside the box on. So this one's a see it for me, Dan. Well, you know, Marina, Bill, I'm a sports fan. And, and I always like to see perfect seasons like the Patriots perfect season, or maybe the Red Sox this year because it's only a 60 game season, but that's not going to happen because they've already lost a couple, but it was inevitable. There was going to be a skip it in my line. And, and here we go. This is my first skip it of the season. Now there's a lot to like in this episode. I will agree with that. I love John rise Davies just as much as everyone else, but I kind of think they went to the Da Vinci. Well, one too many times, and this was the episode that kind of hit it for me. Although I did think the machine, the flying machine was cool, but I, I did, I, I went with my gut and I gave it a skip it. My first one of the season. Sorry. If it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Um, it does work for me. However, um, I just find it fun. I remember reading somebody's, um, review of this and which really hit the point when they said this is the episode where star trek goes and has fun with itself and that's what how i, I kind of feel about it it's you know yeah voyager finds itself in a pretty nasty situation with the computer being stolen and all the other various tools of tricorders uniforms whatever but in this case 
Jamie just goes out and has a fun day outing with Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> I just I just found it to be a fun episode. I, I enjoy it. So it's it, it is a see it for me. It's interesting because Camp Kittimer split almost perfectly down the middle on huh, this one. Interesting. 48% of respondents said they would see this. So almost, you know, uh, 50%. Um, I, I have to believe that people either think it's fun or stupid. Mm. I think those are probably the two camps. I could be wrong. But so it's either fun or it's like Dan. <laughs> that means. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fun uh, or Dan? Uh, <laughs> hashtag, hashtag fun or Dan. <laughs> there we uh, go. Thanks, pal. <laughs> yay. That's why we're here, buddy. Absolutely. Uh, this is why Trek Geeks is elevating the Discord. Oh, no. <laughs> no. Okay. Next episode. It's too funny. <laughs> right. uh, we are at the episode number 12, Mortal Coil. <laughs> Neelix dies in an attempt to sample protomatter from a nebula. Seven of Nine helps resuscitate him using Borg nanoprobes. But Neelix, having no memory of an afterlife of any kind, experiences a spiritual crisis. This is another interesting one. Dan, what do you think about it? Yeah, I um, this was an interesting one, and I had to really think about this for a while. I think because of the the kind of um, questions that it brought up in my own mind, I did give it a see it. The struggle that Neelix has when he experiences no afterlife is is really difficult to watch, especially if you really believe in an afterlife, and it actually makes you wonder about your own beliefs. And I found myself doing that, which, let's be honest, that's what Star Trek is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you think about your own way that you think about things and your own mortality. So I really think think it works. Um, it's not the best Neelix episode, but it definitely is not the worst. Right? Uh, that's right. That's right, Bill. Yes. Do the, the Neelix face. I, that was very nice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you say it's not the best Neelix episode, we all know which one it is. It's, yes. it's Phage. <laughs> when he loses his lungs. That's when he best. loses his lungs. Yes. Uh, uh, only because of the, the face Dan makes. Um, this one for me is a see it. Um, I, I, you had me at, quote, Neelix dies in an attempt to, end quote. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I, I think this is a really interesting quandary for Neelix. And I love it when Star Trek touches on these elements of human society that we all take for granted every day. We all have our own individual beliefs. We all have these things that sort of guide us through life. And when Neelix has one of his taken away, mm. it really makes for some interesting character growth. Kudos to Star Trek Voyager for taking this on because uh, earlier on in Voyager, they tried to destroy an entire planet's yes. afterlife. Yeah. Uh, with emanations. Yep. And um, now they're doing it just for Neelix, which I think is far more impactful, Marina. Yeah, absolutely. I actually find it to be the best Neelix episode, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I adore when Ethan Phillips talks about this episode during conventions because he, this is when you see him really get very passionate about the character. And it, it, it's a brilliant episode. It, it really um, outstanding acting outstanding character growth i mean this is really a definitive episode for neelix as far as i'm concerned so it's a definite see it for me so uh what did uh, the rest of the folks think well let's see our fellow campers uh to the tune of 69 percent said they would hmm. see this episode i think that's a that's, that's two out of three it's, it's better than two-thirds it's yeah. a very solid vote for this particular episode this one in jatrell are probably my favorite mm -hmm. neelix episodes of all time um, but, but definitely uh, th there's a lot to learn about Neelix here. And like you said, Marina, Ethan Phillips just plays it beautifully. Yeah. 
All right. And here, <laughs> I'll explain later why I'm giggling here. Uh, waking moments <laughs> number 13. The crew becomes trapped in a shared nightmare generated by alien technology. Only Chakotay, through his Native American spiritual capabilities, can save them. Uh, Bill, on to you. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's rare that I hit three times in a season, but we're going to do it today. Oh, my. I know. I know. And we're, we just barely are in the back half here. Strap in. Um, it's uh, skip it. Meh. That's really, that's all I got. I mean, I, I just, there's not a lot here. Um, it, it's not really all that enjoyable. I wish I'd almost saved a Coochie Mehya for this one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I could reuse it since it's another Chicote episode. I understand now why Beltran wasn't happy with some of the writing for Chicote, Um, because I think these episodes reflect it so far, Dan. Yeah. Um, I gave it a skip it as well. I think this is the first time we both had a skip it for the same episode, Bill. Um, and as with you, every season you have a meh. Every season, I have an episode that I have no memory whatsoever of. Don't even remember this one when I did my H&I rewatch a couple of years ago. So that must mean it sucked. And uh, so I, <laughs> I, I don't know. Maybe it was on during one of my non-waking moments. Don't know. Don't care because it's a skip it. Marina? <laughs> well, I'm going to break away from the crowd because it isn't see it for me. And I'll explain. That's the reason why I was laughing. I find this funny primarily because of you know all the behind the scenes stuff that has become available later on in the interviews and through convention stories um i will always look at at least for the the, that moment when tubuck steps out naked on the bridge and the entire (laughs) crew starts laughing their heads off and the fact of the matter for those who don't know that brief moment when you see the wide shot of everyone standing on the bridge cracking up it's an actual reaction of the actors, that's not the characters, because there was a great prank played by Tim Ross at that moment. So I always watch it just to kind of see those moments popping up. And of course, the whole thing with, I absolutely agree, Chicote is the one main character out of the entire, you know, group of all the main characters throughout the, the, the series, probably, that really got a very, very short end of the stick. I mean, he's probably the one main character whose literary counterpart is actually a better written being. So, uh, and I adore Robert Deltran. He's a really yep. great actor. So the fact that they just kept going instead of, once they got rid of uh, Jamaica Highwater, they really should have rethought while they could what to do with his character. Unfortunately, yep. that never happened. So it, as I said, for me, it's to see it because it's the episode that makes me laugh. The moment when Janeway walks out and says, either I became impervious to antimatter explosions, which like, that might be true. We don't know. Maybe. Uh, it just, it's funny in a silly way. So yeah. it's a see it just for that reason for me. It's like Bill's face. Hey, hey, <laughs> read it in. <laughs> so I'm going to let the two of you guess at what you think the Camp Kittima rating is for waking moments. Uh, Marina? 20%. As a, as a positive percentage, what, what do you think people voted this one as? 20%. Okay, Dan? I can't think it was very high. I got to think it was less than half. Uh, it's uh, it's just not – I mean, we both kind of had our thoughts on it, and I kind of like to think that people agree with us, but I could be wrong. <laughs> you, you might be interested to know that this episode actually ranked higher than Concerning Flight. Wow. You're kidding me. Wow. 50, 55% of respondents in Camp Kittimer said that they would see – 
waking moments. Now, perhaps it's for some of those moments like you talked about, Marina, you know, mm-hmm. the, the two vaccine, which, which actually is very humorous. Um, but, uh, it's actually really interesting to see that random thoughts gets 42, but waking moments gets 55. I'm fascinated by this. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I wonder, I wonder why <laughs> we should have like a because general everybody discussion. Because was like, smoking crack when they watched it. Sorry. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's, it's a fun episode. So, I mean, that's, I, I have never taken waking moments too seriously, even though, for a change, Chicote saves the day. Um, but yeah, this is surprising. I thought that would be pretty low. Um, huh. Well, yeah. You live, you learn. Uh, and we're on to episode number 14, Message in a Bottle. This is going to be another interesting one. The doctor's program is sent to an advanced Starfleet vessel via a vast and ancient communications network. But he soon discovers that only he and the ship's own EMH remain to fight against Romulans who have taken over the ship and are attempting to return to Romulan space with it. Oof. Dan, what did you think about this one? All right. I'm going to get this out of the way right now. I can't stand Andy Dick. And and I can't stand him at all. For the most part, I can't stand him in this role. He was named perfectly. Let's just put it that way. That's, <laughs> I'm just going to throw that out there. But I'm giving this a see it because this episode is awesome. It is just amazing. What the hell are you doing in my sick bay? I mean, it's just, it's just so it's so good. Um, he grows on me though. In the you know, I don't like him in the beginning, especially the first time I saw it, and I actually saw him as the EMH. I'm like, oh, you've got to be effing kidding me. Um, but he grows on me. The episode's awesome. An advanced starship which separates into three. Very cool. We have Romulans. Very cool. We have Judson Scott in yet another awesome Star Trek role. There are just so many things in this episode to love. It is a lot of fun and it's a definite see it, Bill. Okay. Let me get this out of the way right now. And I may be in the minority, but I cannot stand Dan Davidson in this podcast. Heck, I can't stand him, period. No, anyway, this episode for me is a total see it. I think this episode is fun, even if parts of it seem a little dumb. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the starship that separates into three parts. It just makes no sense to me. Um, but it, it, and I'm not a huge Andy Dick fan either, but he really does well in this role. Ultimately, this is a great episode. It's an enjoyable ride. It's worth the hour, Marina. Yeah, absolutely. Bob Picardo is absolutely brilliant. I mean, in yes. this case, uh, yeah, we can talk about Andy Dick, uh, substitute different words, whatever you will. Uh, but he, this role is is great for. I mean, he, he really sells it, uh, and the two of them together, that is just brilliant comedy. So uh, I love that episode. Not to mention that again, we what was already mentioned. We get the Romulans. We finally get Starfleet. We finally get communications with Star right. Starfleet, yeah. and we finally get the first glimpse of the Herogen, which were you know basically become a feature for the rest of the season. So definitely see it. Definitely. Well, Camp Kittimer is right there with us. It's not unanimous, but ninety five percent of respondents said they would see message in a bottle, and none of them made comments, as far as I know, about Andy Dick or Dan Davidson. <laughs> What the hell are you doing on my podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Too funny. All right. And speaking of Herogen, here we go. Uh, hunters. Letters from home and Starfleet Command get held up at a Herogen relay station, and Janeway sets course to retrieve it. And Bill. 
This one for me is a definite see it. I like the hope that this episode ultimately displays. Mm -hmm. The ability to get messages from loved ones at home changes everything for this crew. And I can only imagine how I'd feel in their shoes where I stranded, you know, 75 years from home. Um, plus, I mean, Voyager does something really well, and that is teasing alien appearances. They did it <laughs> yeah. with the Borg. They've done it now with the Herogen, and I think they do it really effectively to get the viewer prepared for something big, which, Dan, is coming a little further down on the episode sheet. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a definite see it for me. This is great. Bill, what you said is perfect, that, that, that feeling of hope. The crew gets good news, and the crew gets bad news. And there's some great DS9 ties in this episode when yeah. you think about it. They, um, uh, Chakotay mentions that many Maquis had been killed by the Cardassians and an ally from the Gamma Quadrant. Awesome Dominion reference. And the Herogen Alpha is actually played by Tiny Ron, who plays the Grand Nagus' servant, uh, Merdu. So it's kind of cool that we had that, that tie-in. And I got to say, the Herogen have real potential. Mm-hmm. I mean the 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 um the the station that they were using to transmit these messages gets destroyed and we know that there's going to be some kind of um fallback from that and we're going to find out not too far down the road as to what that fallback is so this is a definite see it marina oh absolutely you actually beat me to it Herosian make uh, really really good adversaries like unlike Kazon which were uh, Rather, <laughs> yeah, um, you know, Herogen really sell it, and I'm I'm glad that they actually, uh, whether it's partly because I, I think all the characters, who, sorry, all the actors who played the Herogen characters were actually very large men, very tall, you know, so they made yeah. them yeah. bulky, they yeah. made them threatening, they they really sold the look. So this one, uh, I'm same thing. I'm glad to see that we have the connection to what's going on in the Alpha Quadrant. Yes. Uh, I. I'm very glad to see that later on we actually do get callbacks to that. The fact that, you know, now we know, know that have the knowledge that McKee have been decimated and, you know, further on, you know, everything that happens with Bellana and, uh, and so on. I do wish we got a little bit more of that because really this is a, this happens later on. Um, nobody else. I mean, we never really see how much more Chakotay is affected beyond just whatever he says in this particular mm-hmm. episode. And I'm also very curious, like when they come across this particular um, system, the, the, the communications array, 100,000 years old, powered by singularity. And we did destroy it and we never know anything at all, who, what, right. why. It just kind of like blink and you miss it. So I do wish we had, we got a little bit more exposition, I suppose. Um, and I don't know. It probably didn't go well with the story. But bottom line, this is a very interesting episode. And then it really kind of fits in with, for the next, what, four or five episodes with everything else that's going on with the Herogen. So uh, see it for me as well. Camp Kittimer is agrees with us for the most part. 91% of respondents mm, said nice. they would see Great. hunters. You're going to notice a steep decline as some of these episodes go on. I don't want to spoil it for you, but some of these results may not be what you think. Bill, as usual, we love to talk about Science Division and our friends Kalia and Jay. Of course, they're the makers of the galaxy's first interactive tribble that you can control with your very own smartphone or, in your case, your dumb phone. Wow. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Shots fired. <laughs> my Tribble sits right here on my desk and I love him. His name is Cecil and he watches me work and he listens while I podcast. He's got a very calming effect on me because as anyone might guess, 
Working with you makes me want to scream. And Cecil takes all of that away. You know why he does that? Why? Because jewels are not dangerous, Bill. I hate you. <laughs> you know, I got to say, the Science Division Tribbles, it's, it's a must-add-on for any Star Trek fan's collection. It doesn't just look great on your desk like Cecil or like my Tribble, Cyrano. Uh, these Tribbles seem so real, it's incredible. Uh, like they're right out of the episode. And it's like we mentioned before, they're interactive. They have three modes. At ease, when they're happy and content. On duty, which is a random mix of happy and angry sounds. And watchdog, where you can be sure that Klingon secret agents are close by. Now, you don't have to use the app to enjoy your Tribble. But if you do, there's also an attack button, which makes your Tribble scream on demand at friends, family, or even boring and monotonous podcast hosts with initials Bill Smith. Wow. That's two That's shots. That's not uh, putting too fine a point on it. Thank you. Uh, you can buy your Tribble right now at sciencediv.com. And when it arrives, you can download the Section K7 app on your iOS or Android phone. Give it a name, but of course not Cecil, because that's mine. <laughs> and even choose what ship it's going to be assigned to. Plus, if you order your Tribble today, Science Division is giving Trek Geeks listeners a special $5 off the adoption of your Tribble. So head on over to sciencediv.com to place your order. Now, normally these furry little creatures go for $69.99, but because Tribbles have a tranquilizing effect on the human nervous system, and quite possibly Vulcans too, enter the special code TUVOK. That's TUVOK in all capital letters, T-U-V-O-K. And use that code, you'll get $5 off your adoption. This offer code is is available to use now, until August 5th, 2020 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. (laughs) Science Division. Trouble's never been this fun. And we thank our friends at Science Division for sponsoring this week's episode. Well, moving on, a fittingly named Prey, episode number 16. Voyager rescues a Herogian survivor who tells him a new kind of Prey is on the loose. And uh, Dan, what did you think about this one? Oh, yeah. This is a definite see it for me. We got two formidable hunters. A Herogian, played fantastically by Tony Todd, our friend. Uh, but then again, when is he not fantastic? Yeah. And then, of course, Species 8472, which, although later on down the line, it becomes a little weird what goes on with them. I really like him in this episode. The idea of basing an entire culture on the success or failure of a hunt is a little extreme. Mm-hmm. Captive pursuit, anyone? But it doesn't matter. The Herogen really intrigued me, and I enjoy this episode uh, a great deal, Bill. I'm right there with you. This is a see it for me. I love this episode for really for one reason, and that reason is Tony Todd. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, yes, the hunt between the Herogen and, and 8472 is fantastic. I think the aspect of this, uh, this episode that really works for me is the fact that the Voyager crew is put in the middle of this confrontation, and it's such a different problem for them. Uh, the Herogen really caused them to sort of stretch and bend what they do. And this episode kind of gives you a little bit of insight into that. But ultimately, I, I love this episode a lot, Marina. Yeah. Um, I always love when Species 8472 appears. It's just by its nature that you have a computer-generated alien is always very neat and it's done so very well. It's a, It's a great episode. As you already mentioned, Tony Todd is always a delight, uh, in, literally in every single uh, role that he does in Star Trek. So it's it's a, it's a great thing. It's a, it, I, I love that it's this continuous story. In this particular one, what you mentioned, he's dead set on it's just a hunt. Hunt is all that mm-hmm. matters. And then we get 
further, it's like, it, it seems like, well, Hirogen seem to be just stuck in this mindset, but we get further development of that one once we get to the killing game. So yeah, it's definitely a see it episode. The what, the what? <laughs> storage compartments, storage compartments. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I I got thrown there. I just sorry. I totally got tossed back into into trouble with dribbles. Uh, this one slightly lower than the last for Camp Kitterman. Ninety percent uh, said they would see prey. Um, it's going to get a lot worse. That's three ninety percent plus in a row. Yeah, that's pretty it is. Good. That's very yeah. respectable. Yeah, that, <laughs> that sort of middle block is really solid here in the in this middle point of mm-hmm. the season. There are some coming up though that uh, aren't going to feel any uh, Yes, here comes the hammer. <laughs> uh, number seventeen, something that breaks up this very nice Rogan story that we have established. Uh, retrospect: uh, After experiencing unsettling hallucinations, seven of nine is hypnotized by the doctor, whose analysis reveals a traitor might have extracted Borg technology from Seven without her consent. Bill, your thoughts? This was a hard one. I um I, I went back and forth on it a couple of times. Um, I was on the fence for a good amount of time, but ultimately I said, see it. Um, and, and it's almost begrudgingly so. I mean, it was a matter of time before we had episodes where Seven was going to be assaulted by an alien species. And although this one isn't among Voyager's best, it's just not that bad. Ultimately, I think there are episodes that are much worse, even in this particular season. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it does present an interesting problem for her, Dan. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. This was this was one I went back and forth with several times when I was when I was deciding what I wanted to do. I eventually went with see it barely, so I gave it a see it. You, like you said, Bill, you knew that someone eventually was not going to be happy that an ex Borg was on board Voyager, um, but we finally begin to see Seven's emotions analyzed in this episode. And, you know, it's a, it's a pretty standard plot device that benefits with an interesting twist in my mind. And that's that the Voyager crew's wrong with what they do here. I think Um, that's, that's being said though, nothing stays with me on this episode. And that's, that's, that's something that bothers me. So you could, it sounds like I'm giving it a skip it, but it's a good seven story because she's still dealing with being, you know, severed from the collective, even this far into season four. So I gave it a see it, Marina. And this is the first skip it for me. Um, there's a lot of problems with this episode. And the thing is yeah. that, uh, especially we, you know, those who are seeing it for the first time right now will immediately flag it. Uh, but uh, it's, it's an episode that's stuck in the 90s because a lot of people, I'm sure, would not be aware. Everything that I think, I believe the writer was Brian Fuller on this one. The bottom line, whoever the writer was, they were trying to uh, create an allegory about witch hunts and persecution. But it doesn't play that way. It's just so problematic because it, it was based, it was something, there was a case in the 90s that must have inspired this episode where there was there were innocent people who were uh who got in trouble because of false false memories of faulty information and but it doesn't play that way it just becomes it's it's a little bit too triggering because it comes out that you have seven who is for all intents and purposes an abuse victim whose memories are now not trusted Mm -hmm. uh proven faulty and because of whom an innocent person dies so the, it, it's it's it, it's a problematic episode in many ways and i wish they if they'd done it with a different character maybe it would have worked better but because it's seven it just uh there are a lot of problems with that I, I personally find a lot of problems with the story here so and especially in modern day 
especially so. So um, I, I'd skip it. I'd skip it. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong. I think that with the the, the concept of repressed memories and how those come up at trials mm-hmm. and and the, the the sort of movement to try to not work those in as as official testimony as time has gone on, I think this episode speaks to that today fairly well. Yeah. Um, but in 1997 or whenever this was, um, the year escapes me. I don't think it does. Um, it's funny because Camp Kittimer also agrees that it doesn't really do a good job, Marina. Uh, 40% of respondents. Wow. It is in a three-way tie for the lowest rating of the <laughs> season. Um, but still 40% of respondents said they would see a retrospect. I got to say, though, Marina, 16 in a row see it has got to be a record on it's got to be yeah, yeah. well I, I did mention that i was very partial to this season so <laughs> <laughs> i don't have that many skip it's i i really do like this uh this season a lot so we're moving on to uh another great two-parter at least i hope people consider it a great two-parter because uh it it fulfills it's the highlight with uh, voyager dealing with the herogen and that's of course the killing game uh so episode 18 part one the herogen implant devices into the crew making them believe they are characters within the holodecks being used for hunts all set in world war ii europe then what did you think about this one First of all, I think this is uh, our good friend Emily's favorite Voyager episode Ooh. over on Legacy Trek, if I'm not mistaken. It is. It is. Um, and it's fantastic. I gave it a see it. Uh, and it's got an amazing opener and a fantastic teaser. Janeway's a Klingon. Yes. Herogen, a running Voyager. Uh, you know, the whole idea of the Herogen training with the holodeck is awesome. And the commander's obsession with World War II works so great here. We've seen all kinds of World War II and Nazi episodes in science fiction before, but this is great. The idea that the safety protocols have to be turned off is just downright chilling. And we get Neelix riding a bike in France. What is not to like, Bill? <laughs> well, Dan, let me tell you. <laughs> no, uh, I give this episode a see it. I like this two-parter, but I don't love it. Um, and I, I think we did a good job at documenting those reasons in Trek Geeks episode 169, where we talked about both parts of the killing game mm-hmm. and also talked about it being Emily's favorite episode. Um, but I, th- I think the thing I like about part one in particular is I like the depictions of our crew in different shoes, as it were. Uh, they get to step outside the box and do something different with their characters. And I'm always on board when that happens. Um, and the thing is, they don't know that that's the case for a good chunk of this episode. Yeah. They don't get that that's what's going on. That's what really makes it kind of different. I could do without the, the Nazi iconography. Mm-hmm. I don't think that the, that an alien species would be that fascinated by World War II. I think there are plenty of other things in, in world history from Earth that would be far more fascinating. Mm-hmm. Khan Noonien Singh, I'm looking yeah. at you. Um, <laughs> but, this one, it is still a see it for me, Marina, even though that sounded like I hated it. <laughs> uh, it is a see it for me. Uh, I love the fact that this is where we kind of see further um, attitude of Herogen, I suppose, towards this this concept of the, the fact that their culture yep. is all about the hunt. This is finally when we reach the point where you have someone, an alpha, who decides that he needs to find a better way for his species to yep. to to go on that constant hunting they, they they no longer have a culture per se because they're all separated and all this little uh you know 
well, they're basically like uh, packs of wolves, you know, the ships that hunt together. That's all the culture yeah. that they have to speak of. So in this case, it's it's uh, terrible to see the Voyager crew put, I mean, I'm actually wondering how the heck did they even survive the fact that holodecks were without safeties and you had the constant stabbing, shooting, et cetera, et cetera, put on on very frail human bodies. But that's beside the point. We got to believe into Star Trek magic medicine. So, <laughs> but this this is a, this is a great two-parter. Um, I'm, I'm guessing they picked World War II too, because especially in the 90s, that was probably still thought of as the greatest conflict uh, globally. Yeah, to some degree. So that's kind of probably why they wanted to, to put that. And of course, uh, what, what you talked about, the fact that uh, we get to see uh, characters be not themselves. I mean, I got to tell you, Janeway is a Klingon freaking rocks. It's awesome. Okay. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask. Who did it better, Janeway is a Klingon or Neelix is a Klingon? Oh come on, Janeway, hands down. I wish we saw more of her, but she gets I know. right there. <laughs> and and fun piece of trivia. Uh, all hail Kristen Beyer. I am almost positive that this is all thanks to her. If you remember in Discovery, what house does Laurel belong to? House of Makai. That's the house that the Klingon Janeway belongs to. Oh, this is right. such oh, a deep awesome. cut. I deep love cut. it. I absolutely love it. So, what did uh, <laughs> what did Cap Kuderman think about this one? I mean, I suspect it's probably lower than Year Year of Hell because this it's a great two parter, but not exactly on the same level. You're right. You're spot on with your analysis there, Marina. So, uh, whereas Year of Hell was incredibly high, Killing Game a little down from that. Eighty three percent of respondents mm-hmm. said they would watch Killing Game Part One. Um, the number does not match for part two. Interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah. I thought you might find that interesting. Yeah. So let's talk about the killing game part two then. World War II continues through the holodecks on Voyagers. Janeway tries to work with the Herojian commander to a peaceful solution. So, Bill, what did you think about that? Um, well, I, I think I'm on the record as saying that you, you kind of have to see the second part of a two-parter mm-hmm. uh, throughout all of our theater skippets, regardless of series. And I think you should see both parts of this, but this conclusion is weak. Um, despite the fact that this episode for me is a see it. This truce seems bizarre to me. And giving the Herogen an optronic data core just seems very, very bad. If there was ever a case for using the self-destruct on a starship, this was it. But I get that the series had to go on. Um, but this, this truce is, is really gross to me, Dan. That's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that uh, Optronic Data Core, man. So I, I, too, gave it a see it. I don't think it's as strong a conclusion as other two parts, especially Year of Hell. I don't dislike it in air quotes as much as you do. Yeah. It's not as strong. But again, as I said with part one, I like the sci-fi television with the World War II aspect thrown in. I like that. And I like that Janeway did everything she could do to come to a peaceful resolution with the Alpha that Marina just talked about a few minutes yeah. ago, that he was tired of the hunt all the time. I thought that was great. And he came, she came so close to succeeding if it wasn't for that D-bag Tarange who was just ready to yeah. do whatever he could to control the situation, including, oh, I don't know, killing the Alpha, but whatever. Yeah. Um, I thought that the standoff with Janeway and that guy was fantastic at the end of the episode. And honestly, who would ever have thought we would ever see Klingons fighting Nazis in any type of television? So definite plus there. Yes, Marina? I, I absolutely agree. Uh, the, the fact that Janeway was basically forced to trade uh, technology is problematic, although it's it nicely sets up uh, flesh and blood further on in yep. season seven. Yes. Uh, yep. But the, the, the fact of the matter is... Um, 
you know, her prime, she has to protect the crew. Had the Alpha not been killed, perhaps she would have actually managed to do more or less, uh, you know, heavy diplomacy and somehow work out a different solution. But in this case, it's, uh, you know, damn would be damned. And unfortunately, I guess she was forced to. So uh, it, I agree. It's not a great uh, uh, second part as, as Year of Hell of two was part two um but it's still i mean it finishes the story nicely and um trying to think i think this is uh do we see the herogen after that i think that kind of re- uh, well flesh and blood of course so for yeah. now at yeah. least that we ha- kind of have a nice pretty lengthy storyline with them through the season and you know i gotta say that's really disappointing because how long did we have to suffer through the case yeah and, Her- and we get only them for a few episodes. Agreed. It's really too bad. I agree. Herogen make really good, good enemies. Yeah. So they, and considering, I mean, um, I can't recall if it was ever discussed how big their territory is, but they must have traveled through it for, for quite a long time. So, all right. Next one is. Uh, well, we got to go Camp Kitter oh, first. Oh, my apologies. Yes, please. That's go. okay. Um, so I mentioned when last we, we, we convened. Um, that this rating was slightly lower than Killing Game Part 1. In fact, 81% hmm. of respondents would see Killing Game Part 2, but 83% said they'd see Killing Game Part 1. So somebody's clocking out after Part 1. <laughs> yeah, um, But it's, it's still uh, pretty high in the percentage. It's still pretty high. Yeah. You know, I know why. It's because it's so easy to find the holodeck controls just under a bush or behind a rock. That's what did it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's 2% because of that awesome, awesome... Uh, white get up that Janeway was wearing in, in part Oh, one. totally. Yeah. The tails? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. Moving on. Uh, and we're up to episode 20. Holy cow. Um, vis-a-vis. An alien shuttle with a prototype propulsion system suddenly appears and requires assistance. Paris is restless and volunteers to help the pilot's death to repair the shuttle. And Dan, your thoughts? Okay. This is a skip it for me, and this is probably the most powerful skip it I have for the whole season. I just don't like this episode. Nothing works. There's nothing in this episode that I would think about and say, "Oh, that was great." Oh, Tom gets Tom's identity gets taken over. Oh, Janeway's identity gets taken over. Yeah, great. Uh, this was nothing more than a forced Tom Paris episode, mm-hmm. and it kind of shows in the way that Bobby does the acting. I hate to say that, but it just I just feel that way with this one, Bill. Well, <laughs> I'm going to say see it for this one. Really? Um, interesting. Huh. This is one where Paris actually kind of gets something interesting to do this season. It's one of the few times it happens. Um, and plus we get some shape shifting. That's cool. Dan Butler from Frasier is great as stuff in this episode. And the idea of a genome thief, if you think about it, is really kind of fascinating. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of uh, future identity theft to the nth degree. Uh. And I really find this episode likable, but just based on that, um, you know how it's going to end. I mean, everybody's going to get their identity back. Voyager's going to sail off into more parts unknown. And, and I just, I don't know. I, I think it's a fun ride, Marina. It's my skip it number two. Uh, <laughs> yes. uh I just don't like this episode. Uh, there are certain things the, what they do with Tom Paris, even though I find that he probably has probably the most extensive arcs of all uh, Voyager characters through the seven seasons. Sometimes they pull out the thing where all of a sudden, and this thing happens to Tom, and this is the situation, now we have to work through it, and it just comes out of nowhere. And this is one of those, because, well, I mean, we have, I mean, he's pretty heroic through the killing game two-parter. He's doing other mm-hmm. stuff. He's flying the 
ship for crying out loud. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, he's restless. Look at him. It's like the rebelliousness <laughs> of a 16 year old coming through. It's sort of like, although it's not on the same level, but I forgot to mention it when we talked about revulsion. I find it hilarious that all of a sudden, you know, out of 140 plus people on the ship, the only one person who apparently is qualified to help the doctor in the sea bay is Tom Paris, <laughs> a person who has, you know, you know, astrophysics basically in his background, if I recall correctly. He's a pilot. All of a sudden, it's like, okay, head nurse, boom, go. Uh, Where are all the science officers? I know. Well, Voyager did not have the science compliment because the, their first Come mission on, was a tactical one. So they didn't have as many blue-collared personnel. But bottom line, yeah. of all the people, you know, oh, it's going to be the pilot. Um, <laughs> uh so it plays out better in fan fiction, I find. Mm. Uh, whatever. Yeah, so in this yeah. case, I find it—it's a little bit out of the blue, and it seems un, uncharacter-like that all of a sudden he's in. Yeah, he's missing. He's late to his shifts. He's coming to uh, the bridge wearing coveralls instead of. It's kind of like I don't know what's going on there. So yeah, I don't. Uh, I just don't like this particular episode. What did uh, uh, we'll always have Paris? Yeah. <laughs> what did uh, Camp Kitterman? Actually, I want to say that this must be the lowest point. It's not. It, it is tied for the lowest episode of the season oh. at forty percent of respondents saying they would see it. There's one other episode coming up, um, which is going to equal that rating. Mm -hmm. But uh, the rest of them from here on in are actually uh, are actually pretty impressive. So there's only yeah. one more turkey in the bunch, according to Camp Yeah, Kim. and I can guess which one, because I'm fairly yeah, certain that that can. will be my last given. <laughs> Let's see if I'm right. Okay, so the next one, uh, that I've, oof, that I've that's a, another interesting one. It's sort of a twist. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. Number 21, <laughs> the Omega Directive. Um, Janeway undertakes the Omega Directive the, uh, in order to destroy Omega Molecules, even if it means violating the Prime Directive. Bill... Uh, you got to see it. Yeah. Uh, Omega is perfection, which means it's the furthest thing from Dan Davidson's face. <laughs> what the hell? And, and this story, <laughs> this story is absolutely perfect for Star Trek. Putting Seven and Janeway at odds fundamentally works for me too. I like it when that happens, but it always kind of surprised me that the Starfleet directive in this case was no way, man. Kill that thing. Kill it now. <laughs> Kill it dead. Dan. Yeah, that's what I like to do. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I absolutely agree. This is a see it. This is a true Star Trek story if there ever was one. It's just amazing to me that this particle is so powerful and mm. so dangerous that even the prime directive is null and void when it comes to dealing with them. I, that's 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 hard to wrap your brain around if you're a true Star Trek fan and know about the prime directive. Additionally, this episode shows that Seven is still dealing with issues from being severed from the collective. And we're now 21 episodes into season four. Although her witnessing perfection for 3.2 seconds was, was pretty cool. And if Bill can ever get perfection in 3.2 seconds, I'll throw a party because I can tell you right now, it's never going to happen. <laughs> you better throw a rager because I've been working on perfection now for 50 years, jerk. Yeah, I haven't gotten very far with it in all that time. Have you, mister? <laughs> well, you're just jealous. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are killing me. What do you think? Uh, it, it, is, it, it is definitely a seed for me as well. Uh, I love the fact that uh, they came up. You know, it, it, the, the, you know what exactly would be the concept of God to Borg? That's an interesting yeah. thought, right? Yeah. And here we have it, and of course, it's indeed so incredibly powerful. So it's not exactly surprising that there is something out there that would, yeah, you find it, kill it on sight, uh, regardless of 
what means need to be undertaken. So it's it's a it's a fascinating thing. There's really, like if you think about it, Borg are very much about that. You know, what was it mm. that the Borg Queen says? A beginning and the end. And basically, I'm Alpha and Omega. Yeah. They're very yeah. much about the Omega huh. in many ways. So yeah, so I found that uh, brilliant. The fact that it gives Seven an opportunity to actually have basically a spiritual experience to the extent that the board can possibly actually experience something like that. Um, yeah, um, a wonderful acting all around. Um, I did. It did feel a little bit off where. Um, the fact that Janeway at first was so dead set on not taking on, you know, not having her crew uh, help out because she was following the directive to the ladder. Only obviously seven because she already was exposed to the knowledge. And then it finally gets to a point where it's like just a switch goes off. It's like, okay, great. Yes, let's get all the senior members of the staff here and let's talk about this. Yeah. So it's kind of, that was a little bit kind of too quick. It, it had to be probably worked a little bit. Um but yeah, it's it's a it's an interesting episode, and I, I would think that it probably the percentage should be pretty high. Correct me if I'm wrong, Bill. Before you give the percentage for Camp Kittimer, yeah, what was the name of the device that saved everybody in Galaxy Quest? Wasn't that the, the Omega, Omega 13. thirteen? The Omega thirteen. So, oh my it's god! All look about at Star Omega. Trek. It's all together. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, yeah. all right. I know. Let's just nip this. Let's just nip this in the bud. Galaxy Track ain't Star Trek. The Orville ain't Star you Trek. You just said Galaxy Track. It is Trek. Yeah. <laughs> but, awesome. uh, neither is Galaxy Quest for that matter. <laughs> no. Come on, it's one of the it's best. Fun. It's one of the best Star Trek movies ever made. <laughs> no, it's, you're killing me. You're killing me. Uh, wow. Galaxy Quest is a great. Um, Homage. Par- a great homage and parody yes. of not only Star Trek, but also Star Trek fandom. Yeah. Yes. Because it takes, takes some great shots at Star Trek fans, and they're hilarious. So um, so Camp Kittimer, uh, to the tune of 83%, uh-huh. said they would seek perfection in the Omega that's, directive. That's very that's respectable. That's very respectable, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear everyone. So, we, we're all very much aligned so far. Yeah, um, and I think we're going to be all aligned except for that one. on this yeah. one coming up. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> all right, and that is, of course, episode 22, Unforgettable. Hmm. An alien female from a clicked ship asks for Chakotay by name and requests asylum and Voyager for her, from her people. Dan, what did you think about this one? Yeah, this is a skip it. Um, you know, sometimes I think the writers were just incapable of doing two good Chakotay episodes in a single season. Nemesis, good. Unforgettable? Well, let's just say that I'd rather listen to Nat and Natalie Cole sing it for several hours than watch this one ever again, and I hate that song. <laughs> Bill? Well, Dan, you know, the only thing I disagree with you on there is the fact that there's another good Jacote episode this season. <laughs> um, because so far, in my opinion, they're over. Um, this one is absolutely without a question, a skip it. In fact, they got the name of the episode wrong. It should be forgettable. <laughs> Drop the un. Um, th- this, I, this is 46 minutes of my life. I'm not getting back. Um, and other than that, I've got no strong feelings on the episode, Marina. Uh, and I agree. And I think this is the first time we actually, uh, agree on a skip it. Yes. Um, I, Virginia Madsen is a terrific actress, and she yep. would have been a fabulous guest. Well, she was a fabulous guest star. I mean, no, no, no doubt yeah. about it. I mean, the actors are doing their jobs. That's what they're there for. However, the episode itself is just 
not that great. I, th- I suppose they were trying to uh, sort of comment on the nature of love and the fact that, you know, when you encounter a situation like that, when you meet someone, you fall in love, but the alien is actually from a culture that, you know, is so incredibly xenophobic, you know, any information about them literally disappears, regardless of what it is, biological, technological information. And so therefore any kind of feeling disappears with it. How do you deal with it on and on and on and on? I mean, how many times has that happened? Twice, three times that the, they, they go back and forth? Yeah. Uh, it, but just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, so yeah, unforgettable, it is not. <laughs> Uh, skip it. Yeah. Well, the only thing that surprises me about the Camp Kittimer vote is that it's not lower. Yeah. Um, because again, this is the third in the three-way tie at 40% for the lowest rating of the season. Interesting. Um, that's just less than half. Now, I get that some people are going to watch watch it all regardless. That always factors into this a little bit. But we've had episodes in other seasons that have been like in the teens. Mm-hmm. Um, so for this to get 40% is actually really quite surprising to me, Dan. Interesting. Oh, I absolutely agree. It's it's um it's funny that we we have episodes earlier in the season that are only in the eighties when they should be like at a oh, hundred basically. Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, that is that is quite interesting. Oh well. So back but, to you, yes. Marina. Uh, episode twenty three, Living Witness, a Kyrian museum curator, seven hundred years in the future, hopes a Voyager relic containing a copy of of the Doctor can confirm their version of history. Uh, Bill, what did you think about this one? Well, I think this is one where my podcast partner and I are going to diverge a little bit uh. because I have a feeling I know what he's going to say about it, <laughs> and I, I think he knows to some extent what I'm going to say. Um, although I do think this one is a see it. For me, it is absolutely borderline. Uh, this episode is almost a skip it for me because it's just kind of meh. It almost meets the meh threshold. It's not the Mirror Universe, although many fans cite this as Voyager's Mirror Universe episode and quite incorrectly. It's also not an accurate depiction of Voyager and how they operate. I mean, it's like the, the Kyrians or the Kyrians, whatever they are, weren't even paying attention. And I mean, you know this is fake because Harry's a lieutenant for crying out loud. And alive. And alive. <laughs> I mean, I, and I also, I never really dug how they worked the doctor into this either. Still, it's not terrible. It really just barely is a see it for me, Dan. Wow. See, I'll, I'll get to all my details, but I love how they worked the doctor into it. It's a backup copy of his program. I thought that was really kind of neat. Uh, I, I thought it. it was stupid. This is a definite see it for me. Your face is stupid. Thank um, you. I actually think this is one of the season's best episodes. Besides Year of Hell. I just, I love this. You're absolutely right, though. This is like Mirror Universe Voyager at the beginning when they're wearing the gloves and the giant tattoo on Chakotay's face. And and Seven of Nine is an SS troop commander and has Borg drones as shock troops. I mean, it's just, it's it's fun. But to disagree with how you spun it, I think this is a great example of how an opinion and view of things can be greatly distorted. And it's really a perfect example of what we're dealing with here in the United States these days. The concept of these three different time periods in this episode with that backup copy of the Doctor really works for me. And I think it gives Picardo a real shining moment in the portrayal of his character. Marina? Uh, it is. Or it Bill? It is definitely a skip it for me as well. Um, I do... <laughs> I actually always thought about it as basically as close uh, Voyager can get to a uh, mirror universe as possible. Um, yeah. I, it's not so much the opinion as 
what I always looked at it as a commentary on how differently the history gets yes. um, uh, discussed and interpreted. I mean, th 20 years can pass and you'll be looking back on it and thinking about something else differently. Here we're talking about mm -hmm. 700 years. So I actually find it rather interesting that you do get someone who's a literal living witness, which is the doctor, uh, who knows precisely what happened. So it's not so much that, oh, we discovered a, an actual recording or something else and you can look at it. No, it's a, <laughs> a person um, that was actually there. They can talk about it. What I found iffy was the fact that it was a backup copy. I mean, I'm kind of trying to, to think, like, at what point did that become technologically possible? Because I thought that the doctor's holometrics was so complicated. It was not possible to copy hey, it or do anything I got with a, it. I got a three and a half inch disc right here, <laughs> and that's my backup copy. <laughs> right, Bill? <laughs> I, there's so many places I can take that. I'm not going to. You know, I, not, not I, enough. I, I don't. No, <laughs> no. Well, uh, maybe, maybe for him. Um <laughs> You know, the, the, I understand that, you know, the aspect of this episode that the history is in the eye of the beholder yeah. and the truth is in the telling is totally on the table here. I just find it so uh, incredulous that mm -hmm. this society, which apparently has made all kinds of technological advances, could get everything completely wrong. Yeah. I get there's a true. game of telephone going on here and that the start of the conversation isn't anywhere near the end of the conversation. But if they could be so advanced as to create this living simulation that people could tour, um, then you'd think that they would have some kind of accurate historical records. Well, it's, it depends I, on what, what we consider accurate as well. I mean, look, um, I'm trying to think what's uh, 1159. That's a different season. Mm -hmm. you will, we'll talk, you, you'll talk yep. about it later with somebody else. But oh, we, we already did oh, it. Oh, it was, yeah. Uh, but bottom line, that's exactly the same thing. Jamie's talking, you know, it's yeah. her actual ancestor that she knows the name of and where she was born and everything. And yet she has everything wrong about her. In this case, we're talking about a ship that's flung from a different part of the galaxy. So how can we talk about correct, exact historical, uh, whatever happened, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years in yeah. the past? So I don't know. For me, it works. It works. Except for the, One of the except things... for the doctor's backup copy. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things I found as, I don't want to say negative because I love this episode, but I thought it interesting that they were ready to try the doctor for war crimes and execute him. He's a yeah. hologram. <laughs> He's a hologram. <laughs> anyway, what did Camp Kittimer say, buddy? You know, it's really fascinating to me because there were times where they and I have been completely diametrically opposed. And this is one of those times. 91% um, of respondents said they would see mm. this episode. Wow. That's, that's one of the highest numbers of the season. Yeah. Even more so than the killing game one or two. That's pretty interesting, actually, and unexpected. I was going to guess yeah. somewhere in like upper 70s, maybe. I would have thought so, too. Hmm. But hey, people dig it. Yeah. I, people yeah, are I uh, people love alternate uh, alternate history like, you know, in the mirror universe yeah. like Dan does. I and it. it could be that that part of that uh, mirror universe uh, feel to it, I suppose. Uh, all right, so uh, on to episode 24, Demon. Tom Paris and Harry Kim take a shuttle down to an extremely inhospitable planet to obtain fuel. Dan, your turn. <laughs> Hate it. <laughs> Skip it. Garbage. Worst episode of the season right after one of the best of the season. It's amazing to me that, in, in my opinion, we can have such great writing, and then the next week, do they purposely shoehorn something in that really sucks so that you'll be asking what's going to happen next week to see if we get back on track, because that's how I felt about this one, Bill. 
I I know you must have been drinking when you put this list together <laughs> because there's no way this episode is garbage. Nor like nor is it the worst episode of the season. If you're telling me that this is worse than Unforgettable, you must be high. I don't remember that one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, this one this one for me is a see it. Wow. Um, because it is a fantastic high concept science fiction episode. Plus, it sets up the episode Course Oblivion mm-hmm. down the road. And you can't have this that episode without this one. I look at them as a really detached two-parter of sorts. And I think it tells a fantastic story. Um, but I think this first part of that, you know, supposed air quote two-parter is, is actually really kind of interesting. So this one for me personally is a see it, Marina. Same thing. Uh, I like the concept of it. There are some things I wish we knew more. I wish they developed this whole idea that there is now a duplicate crew out there somewhere, which apparently somehow ended up copying the ship as well and ended up leaving the planet. We don't know anything about that until we hit Course of Living, as you mentioned, which is a brilliant episode. Um, all in all, I, I like it. I, I, I like the effects in it. I mean, the whole thing with, you know, remember when the finger gets just whoop and you get an exact copy. <laughs> um, I do wish we knew precisely, like, well, not precisely. That's wrong. They will never, they would, nobody would do that kind of exposition. It's too boring. But I wish we did get something in between uh, Demon and Course Oblivion, where there was some sort of a connector where, you know, something happens and at some point, Perhaps down the line we realized that that particular adventure actually was with a duplicate crew rather than ours. So, yeah. uh, but you know that's just a pie in the sky idea. But it is uh, a seed episode for me as well. Well, luckily hmm. Camp Kittimer, to the tune of eighty-one percent, mm. thinks Dan is out of his mind. Wow. <laughs> I got a comment afterwards, <laughs> and they and they should see it. Of course you do. When yeah. don't you? Yeah. Uh, and the floor recognizes the gentleman in the pink shirt from the state of New Hampshire. Actually, I was going to say, based on what you said, Bill, based on what you said, Marina, and based on what Camp Kittimer has said, I am going. I will admit it's been a while since I saw this. I just looking over the show synopsis and everything. I remember hating this one. I'm going to go back and look at it, and it might turn into a to a uh, up the long ladder or or you know or move along home move or, along home or yeah. one of those. Yeah, so I'm willing to give it another shot, and I'll let y'all know. How about that? I feel like there's one of these a season two where you yeah. you take a definite stance yep. on it and nobody in their right mind agrees with you, <laughs> <laughs> much like in this case. Yeah. And you say, you know what? Maybe I need to give that another look. So I give you yep. all the credit in the world, buddy, I'll for realizing it. you could be wrong. That happens every <laughs> once in a while. It's very, very rare. But, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll stand up and be the better yeah, man. Chances are you'll so, watch it and you'll still be... At the same opinion as you are right now. It's, that's it's true. true. That that's yeah. a definite yeah. possibility. Absolutely. All yeah. right. I might recommend drinking less though. <laughs> oh, damn it. Uh, yeah, you the threshold. That's the one where you have to drink heavily. Um, all right. We. Oh my goodness. We're closing in on the end. Almost. Uh, episode twenty-five. One. Seven of nine is left alone on Voyager when a nebula's deadly radiation forces the rest of the crew stain stasis and Doctor's holographic program is disrupted. Bill. Uh, this one for me is is a see it. This episode has some great mind bleepery for Seven, who is really just sort of getting used to living among a non-collective um, when she's responsible for the whole ship. That, <laughs> what's, what could go wrong? Plus, I love the callback to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan with the Mutara class nebula. Yes. That one makes my, my inner geek really happy. I think this episode is eerie and it's creepy and it's definitely worth the watch, Dan. 
Yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. Uh, I gave it a seat as well. Psychologically, this is a great episode, which shows, as I've said several times already, Seven's still out of her element here. She's severed from the collective. She's not sure how to be by herself, especially when she's literally by herself. Uh, it disturbs her greatly. She has great, uh, I should say she has great one. The hallucination sequences are great. Um, and those often used and less understood neural gel packs, they're brought back here in season four. You heard it right. Don't know why, but they help the plot move along. Um, and hey, isn't this episode eerily reminiscent of Doctor's Orders on Enterprise? Yeah. You think so? Which, yeah, that's because uh, the plot was actually reused specifically in that episode. I was going to say that one hasn't happened yet, I don't think, right? Not as far as you know. <laughs> that's as far, that's true. Not as far as I know. <laughs> oh, yeah, right? it, it is also a seed for me. Um, it does, I, I, I feel like it shows the growth of trust. Because if you think about it, beginning of the season, Seven is, I mean, she knocks out Harry. She steals the shuttle. She does all those sorts of things that make Janeway basically have her watched and remove privileges for accessing Voyager systems. And yet here we're at the end of the season, we're at the point where the entire ship is, uh, be under her protection. I was going to say at her mercy, but this is completely wrong. Under her protection. Because I mean, what, what's doctor going to do? He's, he's, he's a holograph, hologram and eventually, you know, he's disrupted. She's just literally there by herself to protect the entire ship and crew. Um, so yeah, it's a great episode. See it. Uh, without a doubt. And Camp Kittimer agrees for the most part, 82% of respondents said they too would see one. That's high. See what I did there? Two. That was awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Three when you know, you I always, I always oh. mix up one and drone. Like if you, if you came, yes, if you came to me on the street and said, what is drone about? I probably would have said this yep. one and flipped. Yep. Yeah, because the name yep. of drone is one and I get confused. <laughs> I've done that. Will, uh, you will adapt. <laughs> <laughs> and here, all right, here we are. We are at the end. And this is the season finale, Hope and Fear, number 26. Paris and Neelix return from a mission with a passenger named Arturis who knows more than 4,000 languages. He manages to decode a message from Starfleet that could lead to a way home. Then you get the last word. You know, that's pretty cool that he has 4 million languages, but I will say that C-3PO had 6 million forms of communication. I'm just going <laughs> to throw that out there. Can, um, do, do you know the language of moisture, eva moisture evaporators? Or evaporators? <laughs> this is like a second language to me. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm giving this one to see it. Uh, it's not the best season finale in Star Trek. And it's not a cliffhanger, but that's okay. Um, Arturus is actually another revenge villain, and his methods of duplicity are are really kind of pretty great when you think about it. I got to tell you, when he comes out of warp surrounded by the Borg and we see that look on his face knowing what's about to happen, I got to say that karma is a bitch or a Borg. Um, and as an added bonus, another 300 light years are shaved off the journey home because of that slipstream drive. <laughs> I knew you thought I was going to screw it up, Bill. Slipstream, slipstream. Um, and of course, it can't be used, at least for now. So that's also something to put in your back pocket for later on down the road. Right, buddy? I just want to say you you ruined Jess Vashon's day by saying <laughs> slipstream correctly. <laughs> Sorry, Jess. I uh, No, this one's a see it for me. Uh, absolutely. I love that this episode isn't a cliffhanger. I'm glad that Voyager said, you know what? We're not going to do that this time. But I also got to say, I love Ray Wise. 
I mean, who's been seen in just about everything, including next gens who watches mm-hmm. the watchers. Mm-hmm. And I mean, of course, of course it was going to go to hell in a handbasket pretty quickly, but I think it's a great story that preys upon the hope that this crew has been building all season long. This episode doesn't work if they haven't had that incremental hope from week to week. Um, and so I think it's, it's placed here really well. And I think it makes a really effective season finale, Maria. Uh, same thing. I, I really enjoy it. I like Ray Wise. He's, he's a great character, whichever shape and form he assumes for whichever alien species that when he appears on Star Trek. Um, I always thought that the whole thing was a little bit iffy. I mean, what are the chances that Starfleet would create that kind of technology and put it in Voyager's path. And the mm-hmm. fact that it was like, oh, it happened and everybody immediately got so excited. So that that part was a little bit bit too enthusiastic, a little bit too unbelievable. But overall, the entire episode worked. It was a nice story. And I actually felt really bad for Arturis at the end of it. You know, um, and basically, he, he I suppose he realized that there was no salvation for him and he just that's it. Um, I don't Bye-bye. like it as a finale, though, I have to admit. So even though it's a seed episode for me, okay. I th- I feel like this this would be nice somewhere like second half of a season, middle of the season, Good that point. type of thing. And I wish something else would, would be uh, a finale. Um, having said that, you know, this overall, look at this. That's a great season that Voyager had. Season four rocked. Season four does rock, and and Kim Kittimer is still right there in the top, you know, top tier of ratings with eighty three percent of respondents Great. saying they would see hope and fear. Overall, season four a very solid season in their minds too. So let's talk percentages because yes. I happen to have them right here in front of me. Dan, you mm. were twenty one of twenty six for eighty point seven seven percent. See it, respectable. That's incredibly mm-hmm. respectable. I. Wow. Had one episode more than you, 22 for 26 for 84.62. A little more respectable. A little more respectable. But uh, Marina takes the crown in this round because she had one more than me for 23 out of 26 or 88.46%. Wow. Uh, Marina, you weren't kidding when you said you really yeah, love season four. Uh, absolutely. They, I, I literally, when we decided we're going to do this, I sat down and started looking through uh, Memory Alpha. And I was like, oh, my goodness, wasn't this the greatest season? Just look at all these stories. Uh, it really picks up from season four onwards. So, yeah, love it. Hey, I got a question for mm-hmm. both of you. I'm not, and and I'm, not, I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just curious. How many years got sho- shaved off their journey in just this season? We had 300 years in the finale. Uh, Kess shaved off a bunch before she evaporated. I mean, there was a whole bunch of stuff going on, and lots of stuff was uh, lots of years were cut off the track. Yeah. <laughs> um, on top of my head, yeah, it was at what fifteen total, something like that. Order. Yeah, something yeah. like that. I think it's pretty close to fifteen. Yes. Wow. So right, yeah, that's uh, hey, it, it's it makes for a great season of Star Trek. It makes for a great discussion on Trek geeks, and of course, Marina. It makes for having a great moderator. So thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thank you for being part of this um, this mess that is See It or Skip It <laughs> and for refereeing the two of us. Where can people find you and where can, online and where can people find Shortly? Uh, well, first of all, thank you very much for having me. This was a real pleasure. Believe me, I always love talking about Voyager. So hit me up anytime. Um, you can find me personally on uh, Facebook, my full name. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dracorex, uh, D-R-A-K-K-O-R-E-X. Uh, as was already mentioned, I co-host Shirley, your Star Trek convention community podcast, uh, which can be found on Facebook and on Twitter at Shirley. 
Well, Dan, we also have to thank our friends, our fellow podcasters, mm. the band Five Year Mission, for every last note of music they provide here on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, whether it's our show or Rewind or Rewind, whichever one you want to call that, or uh, or Picard Live or, or whatever. Um, they have an array of music that is just amazing. They're writing one song for every episode of the original Star Trek. And like, like we keep telling people, these are not song parodies. Nope. These are not things that make fun of Star Trek. Mm-mm. These are songs that are inspired, original compositions that enhance the episode. So head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Get all their CDs. Just get them shipped right to your door, pop them in your CD player, and listen to them because we guarantee you're going to become a huge fan just like we are. So that's fiveyearmission.net. Go get all their stuff, yo. The songs make you think. Don't they? They do. So you really shouldn't listen to them. Anyway. Oh. (laughs) In all seriousness, they're all great. You should listen to them. Every single person should listen to them. But I got to tell you, man, oh, I get so stressed out. Every time I watch Star Trek II, I get nervous. Every time. Why? Because, you know, that rival band leader is firing on the Enterprise and Peter Preston gets all bloody and, and dead and things look at their worst. It's really bad. But then Spock pulls a rabbit out of his drum and saves the day by forcing the other starship to lower her shields. Yep, that's right. I said it out of his drum. The code was 16309. And you know what I'm talking about. That little known prefarx code. Save the day. 16309. One, you have to learn why things work on a starship. Exactly. Um, what What is this pull a rabbit out of his drum. I've never heard this before. Well, it's a new phrase. Uh, it's new and it's in the music industry. It's, it's a term yeah. that we use, uh, drum percussionists use it a lot, you know, when they're percussing. Oh. Yeah. Um, they're, when they're percussing. <laughs> yes, yeah. absolutely. Um, uh, do you often it. find rabbits in drums? It all depends. If you're out, you know, if you're near the zoo or maybe if you're out, um, in the woods where there are carrot fields, it's possible. Um, but I just I just go where the carrots take me or the rabbits for that matter. Um, so yeah, I, I just want to recap: mm-hmm. if you're at a zoo where they have you know the rabbits on display, or if you're in the middle of the woods where there might just happen to be a field of carrots, you might find a rabbit in your drum. Yeah, if I if I got that, I'm glad Spock had one. That's all I got to say because that prefarx code was very important. Save the day. Yeah, fiveyearmission.net, please. Please support the band because we love those guys. Uh, Dan, we want to remind everyone listening that you can support the Trek Geeks Podcast Network via Patreon. There you can see it, just a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, we got uh, shirt designs. We got our annual supporters pin that Fansets is making for us. And, of course, uh, raw, unedited audio of all of our podcasts, Dan including uh, the brand new episode zero for Infinite Trek, which just was uploaded this week. Absolutely. It's it's awesome. Go check it out. Become a patron. Uh, we want to take a moment right now, though, to thank our associate producers for Trek Geeks. We are so grateful for their support. So thank you, Adam Sanders, Brandon Everidge, Heather Sohn, John Krikorian, Trey Womack, Sean Lynn, Tim Robertson, Tim Serdar, Vikram Bhatt, Greg Rozier, Andy Fark, Kimberly Francis, Ron Robel, Brooke Horton, Luke Burnham, Eric Sakian, Lisa Tomlinson, Jamie McGregor, Brad DeMag, William Edward M. Jr., Dave Andrews, Aaron Mollenkoff, Jonathan Hamilton, Ryan Jeffs, and the gracious and wonderful Conrad Hutchins. 
so gracious and so wonderful. Much we also so. want to thank our Trek Geeks producers for their support. They are Ken Tripp, Casey Shafsky, Charlie Mulvey, Chris Trebuzio, Craig Ewing, Jackie and Chris Hackney, Leonel Marchand, Matt McGonigal, Mike Bovia, Sean O'Halloran, Peter Craig, Ken Bird, Jamie Rogers, David Hood, Rachel Delaney, Kyle Castillo, Chaz Bradshaw, Kimberly Hartman, Christina Werther, Steph Lesque, Jim McMahon, and the lovely and talented Jess Fashion. You too can become a producer on the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, and it is so easy to do. Just head on over to patreon.com slash trekgeeks where you can get all the details. Dan, next week we continue our year-long celebration of Voyager 25, and our subject of conversation may be the most important of all in the scope of that series. I can't believe it's taken us eight months to get to this point, but yes, uh, I agree with that summation. Uh, for seven years, she fought to get her crew home. She fought the Kazon, the Borg, the, the Vidians, <laughs> and so much more. She was a leader. She was a friend. She was a mother figure. And she was a kick-ass captain. Our dear friend Amy Imhoff is going to join us for the Voyager 25 celebration continuation with our discussion of Captain Catherine Janeway next week on Trek Geeks, the flagship of the Trek Geeks podcast network. I can't wait for this discussion. It's going to be great, uh, especially now that I have the appreciation that I do for that fine captain. Absolutely. Dan, for more great Star Trek discussion, please, we want everyone to check out the other member podcasts of the Trek Geeks Podcast Network, uh, in addition to Trek Geeks, and of course, Discovering Trek, the verifying podcast that Dan uh, hosts, uh, which is okay. Sometimes. Uh, there's there's Politrex, there's Five-Year Mission, the podcast, there's Rewind, there's Picard Live, and we've just added Infinite Trek with Aaron Harvey and Brandy Jackola. We can't wait for you to hear what they've got to offer, and uh, we'll be telling you all about them in the coming days. But you can find all of our podcasts, including where to listen, by visiting trekgeeks.com slash listen. And of course, for all the news on all the Star Trek CEO, please visit our great friends at treknews.net. For now, this has been episode number 226 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Coconuts up. Wait, are you doing explosion noises with your mouth? What's, are you gonna are you gonna try to do the next podcast like that? That would be amazing. <laughs> Music for Trek Geeks is provided by Five Year Mission. They are writing one song for each episode of the original series. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast, is a production of Coconut Media Works. Executive producer Bill Smith. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and DiscoveringTrek.com. Bing bong! Bing bong! And that's the sound of your brain shutting down. It is. It really is. Just before you speak. <laughs> it's what happens every time. Uh, right. <laughs> Hi. Right. That is funny. Hi, how you doing? I'm doing good, buddy. How are you? Good. So I got a story. <laughs> oh, I love stories. So, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Storytime with Dan Davidson yes. on the Trek Geeks podcast. Yes. Today, Dan will regale us with a tale of woe. And now, Dan Davidson.
So Sue and I are getting ready to start another show, and we're not sure what we're going to start yet. I actually want to do a rewatch of Buffy, which is kind of interesting based on what happened today. But that's another story for another time. Um, so I'm like, okay, Buffy. And then I'm like, you know what? Never watched the redo of Battlestar Galactica. I know I watched the first, like, two episodes of it a long time ago. So I said, "Hun, let's see if we can find it, and, and let's watch the beginning and see what interest you have in it. She's like, okay. So I found it, and, and for those of you who may not have seen it, I'm not give, really giving away anything, but, but the Cylons have been gone for 40 years. They haven't been seen. And there's a station that was built, and there's a representative from the colonies there, and he just sits there and does nothing. He has a little picture of his wife and kid, and he just sits there waiting for the Cylons to appear, and they never do until today. And they show up, and it's a, a female Cylon and comes over and starts kissing the guy. And then the Cylons blow up the station. That's how it starts. Yep. And my wife goes, yeah, I'm not interested. And she got up and walked away. <laughs> what? I know. I'm like, honey, you just you can't make a decision like that in, in three minutes of watching TV. You would have never dated me if you did it that way when I asked you out. But um bum I, I, I'm sorry. I'm still trying to get past. She got up after three minutes I, and walked away. I know. Uh, See, I know that BSG isn't in my wife's wheelhouse. I know she has no interest. No. Uh, but I would imagine it would be in your wife's wheelhouse. I would think because so. Because it's fantastic. I know. She won't, Does she like Deep Space Nine? Yes. Wow. She won't watch Sons of Anarchy. She won't watch Breaking Bad. She won't watch Lost no matter what. I could be on my deathbed, and the one wish I have to die peacefully would be to watch Lost, and she'd be like, yeah, no, sorry. I mean, she's, I don't blame her because Lost sucks, and so do you. She just doesn't want to watch it because I always want her to watch it. Um, but but the, and she, I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, well, but she's not big on, like, Breaking Bad either, right? She's not because it's too stressful. Real life I, situation, stress, you know, all the stuff that goes on, so... Well, and BSG, I'm not going to lie, is pretty stressful. I'm sure it is. It's not the 70s version. By no, no, means. no. I know that. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe I'll, you know, I might be able to, you know, slip her a little something in her drink and then she'll watch it. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. So, let me see if I get this straight. You are advocating <laughs> drugging your wife. Oh, I didn't say to that. To get her to watch Battlestar no, Galactica. No, I did not say that. You did. Slipping something in her drink. Yeah, like a little extra vodka or something. Uh, that's not typically how that's referred to. Oh, I didn't know that. That's what I meant. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> what is, huh? what is that? What are those animal tranquil- tranquilizers behind you on the t- table? Shh, what is that? That's, that's, my, that's from my <laughs> Michael Jackson collection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, goodness gracious. It was uh, actually in August that he died several years ago. And yes, it was. up on August. Yeah. I was in Disney. Yeah. Ed McMahon and Farrah Fawcett died the same day. Wow! So we got a trifecta. We, we got a trifecta yeah. for the Deadpool in the same day. Yeah. Yep. See, I wow. remember stuff like that. What is it when you go to Disney? I don't know. I just—it's that in sports. I just remember stuff, and then bad things happen. <laughs> it's a shame you can't remember the name of your own podcast. Who? Trek Keeps. <laughs> Trek Keeps. <laughs> So I asked you this question just a few moments ago in the Patreon-only portion of of the broadcast. Um, 23 straight weeks of Star Trek coming to your eyes starting next week. How do you feel about this, young Daniel? I'm very excited. Um, Watching new Star Trek is always something that's great. I think that Lower Decks is just going to be unbelievable. 
I cannot wait. The trailer looks great. The interviews that I've watched are awesome. It looks funny. It looks like it's going to have a lot of canon references in it, and I can't wait for it. And then, of course, we get season three, which everybody knows they didn't really like Star Trek or uh, the, the way season two ended, but I'm pumped up for this. So that's awesome. Podcasting twice a week as a result of 23 straight weeks of Star Trek. I got the look last night when I uh, mentioned that to my beloved, my betrothed. Your betrothed. My sweetheart. I love it. <laughs> I said, I, I said, honey, yeah, it's going to be 23 weeks. I'm going to be done podcasting twice a week in mid-January. And I got the, so I just was like, oops. <laughs> I think there are some sensible things we can do to podcast once a week. Mm. And maybe just do it for a slightly longer recording window. I have some ideas. We'll talk about okay. it offline. She'll, you know what? But, she'll um, do. She'll deal with what I do. Okay. All right, let's just put that right out there. I don't need to listen to her guff. That is the biggest lie I've ever heard in my life. That is, I have never heard you tell a bigger whopper in your life. I've known you for 25 years. Um, You have never said anything more preposterous. Absolutely right. Than that, just now. Yep, absolutely preposterous. That is hysterical, yeah. If if you were taking a lie detector test. The needle would have been shot through the roof. Oh, my God. They would have locked you up and thrown away the key just based on that uh, one answer. That sounds like Sting Song. I can't sing it, though. No, Spotify. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And you can't understand what he says anyway for most of the song. That's okay. Uh, well, hey. <laughs> can't understand what I say half the time, so I guess we're in good company. You said it. You know, the, the best part about jokes like that is you give the punchline for me, yeah. and yep. I don't have to do a damn thing. Because then it's a joke and not an insult, meanie. <laughs> oh, no, it's still a joke. See, Dan, it's always a joke in the first person. <laughs> it's in the third person that it's an insult. Oh, I see. Right. Yeah. Right. That is funny. Right. That is funny. My knee hurts. <laughs> Your face is killing me. <laughs> boom, boom. Here we go. Bye. Yeah. Ah, yeah. My knee's back to what it was a month ago, and it's it's sore, but I'm going to uh, get through it. Well, if last time taught us anything, it, it, it resolved after a little bit. It did. Um, and I think I re-aggravated it at the gym because I went to the gym for the first time in two weeks after the vacation, and I did reverse lunges, which I shouldn't be doing, and I did squats, which I shouldn't be doing, and so my knee is saying, here you go, F you, buddy. Now you're going to listen to me next time, aren't you? Yep. Is that what it takes to get you to listen? Because my, For my knee, yes. I will kick you in the knee <laughs> to make that happen. <laughs> yep. So I'm going to have to get a new uh, new regimen of exercises from, uh, from DSE. I was going to say a new knee. No, I don't want a new knee. Do you call uh, the gym Discovery all the time? No. Nope. Because I do. All Never have. the time. Because DSC. I just always do. And Sue always looks at me and goes, do you mean dynamic? And I'm like, yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, I typically refer to it as dynamic or the gym. Yeah. Yeah. Because my time at DSC predates Discovery. True. See, it doesn't for me. So it, it's all like warped together in one big giant red angel conglomeration. They, uh, they do not advertise on this podcast, but we both had to go to Dynamic Strength and Conditioning yes. in Nashville, New Hampshire, which now has an online program, which is pretty fantastic. And they've been voted like the number one gym in New Hampshire for I don't know how many years. They're fantastic. Yeah. We love them yeah. all. All those coaches down there. No, except Luke. No, nah, I think Chris is the <laughs> jerk. I like Luke. <laughs> no, Chris. <laughs> when you can see him. Oh. Wow. <laughs> 
course, they're never going to hear. No, this. they are not. But we're going to tell them about it. <laughs> oh, oh, somebody may send them the audio. <laughs> it might be you. <laughs> might <laughs> investors possibly you? <laughs> Sorry, little stepbrothers moment. Nice. So, uh, jerk face, are you ready to do this? Uh, yes, I am. See it or skip it. Season one, two, three, four. I feel like I was on Sesame Street there for a minute. One, two, three, four. Four coconut cakes. <laughs> okay. Ah, 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 ah. All right. Jerk face, let's do this. <laughs>